you know, there's things that you learn after the fact. You know, hindsight's twenty twenty. I just hope one day we get a time machine where I can go back and find the early me and be like, don't fucking do this. Here's the kicker. <laughs> you wouldn't listen to him. Hey, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio. Someone please help Dr. Brian Mann with Instagram. This self-proclaimed social media degenerate has confessed that being an old-timer in the strength and conditioning world has its disadvantages. Where his knowledge is plenty, his reach struggles. And this is because we are in a time when it seems like you're only worth your weight in followers. And actual substance produced by so-called coaches is minimal. The struggle is real. Here it is, episode 610. This has been a rough year, dude. You know, we started off losing Judd. We lost Lou and, and, and other people. This has been, yeah, I mean, as far as strength and conditioning goes, this is like the the year that makes me want to drink, you know, that, uh, yeah, not like I really need a reason, but yeah. <laughs> uh, my dad made an interesting point to me once. He said, you know, you're getting older when all of a sudden, uh, like close friends start dying and people that you think like, I thought that guy had another 20 years and then he passes away. He's like, that's how you know you get old. Yeah. 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 The, the gray in my beard, I, you know, I need to go your route and go clean shaven uh, <laughs> so that I don't see all this gray, but damn. Yeah. yeah. But no, it was good to, to have a conversation with Lou and to, to get that on tape. Uh, it was pretty interesting, you know, having known him over the years and to see like he was, you know, he, still Lou, but I could tell he was physically in a lot of pain. Uh, and his voice in that man, it just, you know, it, it broke my heart. But, uh, you know, I thought I thought he was immortal. All the well, things that he'd been through and he came out, golly, you know, well, but uh, it might have been you texted me or um, maybe it was. Yeah, Zach I Eben. did. Yeah. Well, I, I know you did. But I also uh, I think it was Zach Evanish was like um, he texted me. He goes, I just got done listening. He's like, I think Louis do, died from heartbreak. I mean, literally, it was like he sounded <laughs> heartbroken that he had built and amassed, uh, you know, West Side into what it was. And at the end, he was having to pay guys to come there. Yeah. Yeah. It was. Yeah. Cause I was at, you know, I was at the liquor store one and, and the new one. And, you know, I can just, I can imagine and how, how hard that's got to be to see the intensity and the environment that was created there and for it to be gone, you know, if, for anybody who's never gotten into that sort of environment, I mean, it was, um, it was crazy. You know, to be able to be in there and, and train with those guys, the Panoras, the Edwards, the Vogelpools, the the Smiths. You know, I mean, I remember the day that I felt like I made it was uh, at Westside. We were doing suspended cambered bar good morning. The cambered bar that you can't put on a normal rack. You know which one I'm talking about? Yeah. Yep. And uh, the only person to beat me was Luke Edwards. And everybody was ripping on Matt because here I am. I mean, I'm like not an outsider because I was there, you know, twice a year. But they're still like, come on, you motherfuckers. You can't let a new uh, you can't let a visitor in here. Wh- uh, whoop your ass. Luke, what are you going to do? And that guy looked like he was just released from the insane asylum whenever he went out and he got that lift. And he was so happy whenever I couldn't make it. And, uh, <laughs> you know, but that environment for those people who never got in there, man, people, people are always looking for a struggle and a challenge and things to fight against. And, and um, you know, I, I think because I had that challenge and that fight and that struggle, you know, from training in Westside, I don't see the need to go out and do some of these 
just stupid fights that I, I see people having uh, from time to time. Um, yeah. And that's related back to, I've been thinking about that, John, since you, you had brought up that struggle on lose episode. And I'm like, yeah, you know, I think this is why the, you know, some of the people that are, have made it to the highest levels are the ones who've gone through the most shit because they know what's worth fighting for and against. And, uh, whenever somebody has never actually had a, a true struggle, um, they look for, you know, I, I, I always go back to this John Stewart book, John Stewart America, that uh, man on pumpkin sex is an inalienable right and everything else. And I'm like, man, that's what some people are fighting for because they've never had that real struggle. And uh, uh, I've always been fearful that um, people don't encounter hardship early enough in life. Uh, I I remember when I was, um, I don't know if I told, I've told this story before. I probably have, we have fucking 600 episodes, but uh, when I went to go get my shoulder surgery, um, as I was talking with Dr. Ants, we were talking about pain and uh, I have a unusually high threshold of pain. Like I broke my leg, played 17 weeks of the broken leg. I mean, I've dislocated fingers and reset them. Like the, like my pain threshold is, is pretty, you know, pretty impressive to the point where after shoulder surgery, I was like, don't give me any painkillers, just do a nerve block. And a few days later, I'll be fine. And my shoulder actually felt better coming out of like immediately waking up out of surgery than it did going in. Well, and definitely I, while you're waking up, you got the nerve block there. Well, yeah, well, well, the nerve block. And then like two days later, it wore off and it was fine. And so we were talking about uh, pain threshold. And I was like, dude, just my whole life, like the ability to like, like pain doesn't affect me the same way. It's why I don't think I ever, um, you know, took painkillers regularly. Like a lot of guys I, I played with uh, chewed painkillers like breath mints. I mean, I obviously yeah. I took them on very few on occasion, uh, but, you know, not to the point where, you know, you're chewing 40, 60 Vicodin every day. And so are we talking ibuprofen or are we talking Vicodin when you're no, saying painkillers? Okay, cool. Yeah, I'm I'm pretty well with you there. You know, ibuprofen is about the most that I hit after most of my surgeries. Yeah. Uh, save uh, from my last one that, that was on my that sinus thing that almost killed me. Uh, <laughs> that I just didn't want to remember a fucking thing until, you know, for like another week because it was just so horrible. So, yeah, the, uh, um, I think part of the reason that I was able to survive and do well post-game was because I didn't take the amount of bikes. I mean, I was just talking to another former NFL player you know, a couple of weeks ago, and he's like, dude, I was you know, 20, 30 of these things a day. And I was like, dude, I, I might have taken 20 or 30 across, across my entire NFL career. And uh, Dr. Ants made an interesting point where he goes, you know, there's studies to show that kids that go through some form of pretty severe pain early on in their life, it, dull, it dulls them as they go on. And uh, I broke my collarbone when I was about five or six. My older brother picked me up and power slammed me. We were playing like flag football or tackle football and he fucking busted my collarbone. And my doctor or our doctor, who was our next door neighbor, reset it in our kitchen and then made me a little dish towel sling. And that was how we rolled. And um, so like all these kind of different things that happened. Uh, he's like, you know, maybe you just experience things at a younger age that effectively have dulled you later on, or you can just have a high threshold for pain. But I think a lot of this goes in the same, like people that uh, encounter hardship early on. And you hear these stories like the Michael Jordans getting cut out of their high school basketball. Yeah. And, you know, a bunch of these stories of these individuals who didn't attain greatness that got beat down, that had to come back and find a new way to do something ends up being the marker. And what I always worried about is like, you know, and I've, I've, I've even said this to my daughters. Uh, I'd be nervous if like you don't have any hardship or you don't understand defeat until you're in your thirties or like you don't experience heartbreak until you're in your thirties or forties. I think people that experience things at a younger age have greater resilience later on. Dude. Yeah. I, I think that too. And you know, I, 
Well, I don't want to talk about it today. I'm not not emotionally prepared for it. Uh, you know, I talked about some of it there at the, the symposium, whenever it was, uh, you know, I can't remember how many years ago that was now. Uh, 2018. 2018. Shoot, doesn't it feel like fucking 20 years ago? Sometimes. But well, shoot, 1990 feels like, you know, 10 years ago. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny. People will be like, oh, it's a 20-year-old car. And in my head, I'm thinking something from the 80s. And then I'm like, oh, wait a minute. That was, okay. That would be the early 2000s. Yeah. Yeah. That, that I'm doing that all the time. And, uh, but yeah, no, I'm, I'm with you, man. That, that the stuff that I went through early childhood, it's like, I, I hear people complaining and, and I'm like, dude, you know, nobody's shooting at me. I'm good. You know? So that, that's, that's where I'm at. Well, I mean, it's, it's perspective, you know? Yeah. I, um, and I think a lot of what we're feeling in this present climate is, uh, people I think will inherently create hardship when there isn't any. Like the fact that like, things have never been so good. And yet you talk to people, the whole world's ending. I mean, they're like, like, I, uh, it just, it blows my mind that, you know, as good as things are, I mean, we've never been in this good a time yet. People will continue to find ways to, to create hardship. And a lot of times it's just imaginary. Yeah. Yeah. I a hundred percent see that many, many times that there's, so much hardship that people are going through and they're having uh, true reactions to it. But it's like, dude, you know what? How about you just take a couple of deep breaths and you turn around and you look and everything's still there. Nothing is crumbling. The earth did not fall. The sky did not fall chill. And then if you'll actually take a breath and address it in a, in some sort of logical manner, everything tends to work out as opposed to this freaking out and throwing stuff and crying and, and all that. Is that a freaking helmet behind you, Tex? Oh yeah. You want me to put it on? Yeah. It's a, Dude. it's a night's helmet from one of our programs from uh, hammer. hammer. Yeah, hammer. Yeah. So all oh. the, all the imagery that you see around here is uh, uh, themes within our programs, other than the deer skulls, which I've killed here, which Harry hates, um, <laughs> but uh, everything else fits in. It. So Oh, that's nice. This is a, this is where, where is it? This isn't in the, in the shop. No, this is in the barn. Is it? Yeah. This yes. is in our barn, our office. Hey, Power Athlete Nation. I need to take a few moments to thank our sponsor, Power Athlete Training Systems, for providing the best training programs on the universe, in the universe, in the metaverse. I mean, really, if this is the matrix, and I'm pretty sure we're stuck in the matrix, Neo and Morpheus are uploading Power Athlete Training Systems. I'm pretty sure they're doing field strong. What do you think, McCorkle? Oh, I agree. They are on a specific training program for what they need. And to find out what you need, listeners, head to powerathletehq.com forward slash training and take our little survey to find the perfect training program for you. So we have developed training programs specific for an archetype. You want to get jacked? We got Jack Street. If you're looking to foster and develop athleticism, we got Field Strong. If you're looking to kick the door off of hinges and smash things and cut up and just be a fucking badass, we got Hammer. If your first experience in terms of lifting weights and getting used to a barbell using a basic linear progression with bedrock, that's the right one for you. And if you have a few miles underneath your belt, maybe a few kids, Fortune 500 CEO, or maybe life's getting a little in the way, I want you to check out Grindstone. And if your job and your desire is to fucking wad your face off, I want you to go check out Johnny Wad. And if you want to stack on a little Johnny bot on that and hit a little bodybuilding accessory, we got that too. So what we've done is we've created this amazing catalog of services, these training programs designed for archetypes, and every one of them fits a specific user 
And you know what? If you want to find that user, go on. I want you to take the survey and then I want you to click on and take our seven day free trial and see which one is right for you. Best in class training. And for less than a dollar a day, you mm. get it delivered straight to the mobile app Train Heroic. Mm-hmm. And if you want to sign up for our newsletter, you can go to powerathletehq.com forward slash or backslash forward slash forward slash newsletter. I want you to go to that, sign up for the newsletter where you can get more information, not only on training programs, get uh, discounts on shop on the merch, and really just know what's going on within Power Athlete with the Academy and some of our other initiatives. And the latest episodes of Power Athlete Radio. Which is really the most important thing. Power Athlete Radio, the premier podcast in strength conditioning and your resource for the best information on training, nutrition, cars, maybe some movies. Banter. And banter. I mean, we've been on other fitness podcasts, and when it comes to banter, we can fucking out-banter anybody. Yes. And if you're a big fan of Power Athlete Radio, don't forget to smash that subscribe button. Hit us with a five-star review that we will read If you leave us an amazing five-star review, we will read it on air. And believe me, I love reading the reviews, uh, especially the five-star ones, because it lets us know we're doing a good job. And we got some very creative listeners out there. We do. I mean, uh, that's why there are people. Yes, throw your hat into the ring. Again, head to powerathletehq.com forward slash training for all your training needs. Take a little survey, find out what you're training for. Seven day free trial on that program and training for less than $1 a day. Thanks for Power Athlete Radio for sponsoring this podcast. <laughs> See ya. Bye. Taking back to the episodes in which we recorded with you, Brian, Luke's kitchen <laughs> and then yeah. up in the, the gym shop. Oh, yeah. So this, you haven't even experienced new or old studio. No, Mm. no. Yeah. Yeah. I was expecting to kind of see, you know, the, whatever truck John was building behind you guys uh, whenever we were uh, doing this. So I am, uh, I am so deep. I, I, I've caused so much headache for myself in terms (laughs) of like, like what I've attempted to do. It's, uh, yeah, no, like when people like, what are you working on? Like it was, uh, I took my son to flag football yesterday and one of the, one of the other dads is a pretty high end uh, spine and neck surgeon, like a real, like one of the top guys in the world. And he's a Berkeley grad. So he, um, and he's worked on a bunch of NFL guys. So we ended up just kind of becoming friends. So I met his wife for the first time and uh, she's like, Oh, my husband, you know, uh, you know, doesn't shit up about, you know, Cal and golden bears and the whole deal. And I'm like, yeah, I, I completely understand. But uh, as we were going through it, I was driving one of my trucks and she's like, is this your truck? And I'm like, yeah. And she's like, so what do you do? I'm like, ah, uh, I can't really explain it, but I know we just bang on a lot of metal. Yeah. Well, oh, there you go. I mean, half that's of true. what you do, travel the world and teach people how to teach people to lift weights. Uh, we still are banging metal. I mean, they were banging iron, banging metal. Oh, yeah. And yeah. that's trucks, too. Yeah, trucks. It. Trucks. Smart. It's everything. I mean, it's uh, same with football. You know, you're banging helmets. The um, I, You know what? Uh, when I, when um, we were kind of pre-prepping for this, the one thing that kind of struck me, and I wanted to get your opinion on this, what is uh, what is the world more importantly? What does strength and conditioning look like post Louis Simmons? I don't know, and it's mm-hmm. scary. Uh, and if some people keep telling me, "Oh, this is you. You got to step up. You got to fill this void." And I'm like, "Man, you you can't you can't fill that void." Um, I think what we're going to man. Here's what I hope doesn't happen. I hope that. Mm, okay, hold on. I already dropped an f bomb, so I got to be can, careful. You now. can curse as much as you want on this podcast. Yeah, no, it's like if the if it gets back to the dean or or something like that, you know, uh, public 
uh, professional demeanor crap and whatever. Well, then we can edit that out. Charles, edit out any F-bombs or just put in like a pop pop little sound. Cool. Okay? That yeah. cool. And maybe just throw it in there a couple of times randomly just yeah. so that uh, <laughs> they don't know what I'm actually saying. I got it. But here's what I hope doesn't happen. I hope that it's not just... <clears throat> I hope that it's not just a bunch of people on Instagram who've got a bunch of followers and they're the people who are filling the voids, man, because that's not, that ain't, that's not real. You know, it needs to be the people that have been down on the trenches. who have got this literally, they've got the scars from making mistakes who have got, you know, the, the man in the arena speech, you know, that's, that's who needs to be the people that we're looking forward for. Not somebody who is a, uh, I've had some undergrads who've got like a hundred thousand followers as a fitness influencer. And I'm like, you don't know, you don't know your, your head from a hole in the ground. You're so full of shit on everything mm-hmm. you say, but you're so confident about it because you've never been under a bar. Yeah. Like, dude. Yeah. You're 25 dumbbell, 25 pound dumbbells and keeping constant tension on the muscle to increase mechanical and metabolic damage. Yeah. No kidding. But you know what? 25 pound dumbbells aren't going to get it done. What sort of mechanical damage is being done by 25 pound dumbbells? I mean, come on. But that's what I'm hoping doesn't happen. What needs to happen are the people like myself, like Zach, like uh, so many other, the, the windlers of the world that have just kind of been, man, screw this social media stuff. It's a pain in my ass and everything. Just to step up, tell everybody else to shut the F up. And this is what you do. And this is why, because uh, I've got these scars that, you know, from the mistakes that I've made, you stand on my shoulders and you're going to see further than I've seen. But that's, you know, I guess for that to really happen, we old people like me need to learn how to use some of this stuff and make it look good uh, because otherwise nobody's going to listen. Uh, and, and that's the the sad aspect of it. I, I tried to do one uh what is that? Ask me anything type stuff on Instagram. And, you know, it comes through your stories and shit. I don't know how to use that very much. The responses that I got for the, uh, the questions were you suck at this. You're the words are covered up by something else. I'm like, Hey, great. How about you? You tell me how to improve rather than say, Hey, you're stupid. Um, and I, and also for the people who were saying you're dumb, these are also people I've never heard of you know, before. So that kind of gives some of the, what I would take from their, uh, their statements, but you know, that that's what needs to happen is Zach's and myself and the other people that have been doing this for 20, 30 years. Uh, we need to just be the ones to step up and be like, all right, this is what needs to happen. Here's the direction we're going. Quick note, John, that was a conversation essentially we had with the responsibility of the podcast is to seek out these people who we happen to also be connected with and have a, a developed relationship and know who they've worked with know who they've trained, and then I'll provide them an opportunity, a platform for an excellent conversation. And this, this Brian was following us getting big time by a couple of high follower influencers. And John essentially laid down, okay, let's refocus on the mission of power athlete radio and, and, you know, move it. We, um, yeah, I mean, we, uh, reached out to some individuals that have big followings and they kind of ghosted us a little bit. And I remember like looking and being like, first of all, these people are fucking nobodies in the grand scheme of, of, of like the training space because they got a YouTube channel and they've done a bunch of fucking, you know, vlogs where they've talked about this and their hardship and this, all this other fucking nonsense. And they got a bunch of dope marketing. They have a ton of followers. And at the end of the day, I'm like, dude, uh, I don't fucking mean to big time anybody ever. But at the end of the day, I mean, shit, dude, I got a decade in the NFL. I got a long time training with the world's best and, um, you know, uh, shit. 
you know, I call Louis Simmons on the phone. He answers and come and does a podcast when he hasn't done one in years. And, uh, yeah. you know, there's cachet to that. And I told it and I told Tex, I'm like, first of all, fuck these people, fuck chasing yeah. them around. Um, I don't, you know, anybody that doesn't, uh, understand the weight of what we're doing, basically they go fuck themselves. They should be kissing our ass to come on here to have an excellent conversation because yeah. I believe personally for power athlete radio, and this is, uh, not because it's our podcast, um, our guest list and the individuals that we brought on, I believe are the best in the best. I mean, we've had the best conversations with the smartest individuals and a lot of times people that the fucking masses don't know, which to me isn't indicative. So there's this like weird yeah. social media credit where the, you know, and it's like the, uh, it reminds me of bodybuilding forums back in the day where the dude that has 17,000 posts, uh, you know, is the expert. Well, I mean, like we're in this situation where if you have a million followers, obviously you know what the fuck you're doing, but a lot of times you fucking don't. I yeah. mean, uh, you know, you have a guy like Brian Mann who's actually doing the research that, uh, you know, is the cutting edge on, you know, velocity based and here and all this other good stuff. And, you know, uh, there's probably a ton of people that are pinching it that probably have way more followers than you. And uh, oh, yeah. all of a sudden now they look like the experts and you're like, well, first of all, where's your fucking lab? Who are you working with? Where's your research? <laughs> but the problem is nobody gives you shit because, uh, you know, I mean, it's, um, we're, we're, it's just very disingenuous. And like a text said, the mission of the podcast has always been, you know, not only the premier podcast and strength conditioning, but shining light on individuals that are doing the best in the business. Not somebody that just has the fucking most amount of Instagram followers because they want to fucking train in their underwear. Yeah. And what they freaking didn't, uh, why they ghosted you is probably because they knew they'd get found out. That's exactly what John said. <laughs> uh, that's what I said too. I'm, I'm like, dude, like, uh, the, I mean, it's kind of like you're, you know, like a PhD, um, you know, that people, oh, I could get it. Fucking go get it. You know, I mean, just yeah. sign up, go, go get a PhD. Uh, the only thing more difficult, go play 10 years in the NFL. That's one you can't fucking buy your way into. You either do it or you do yeah. it or you don't. Yeah. No, freaking put up or shut up, man. The, the PhD, it's, it's hard. You know, it, it's not easy. Not, I mean, anybody can get a PhD if they are persistent and have enough tenacity. Because uh, I assure you, it's not my intelligence that allowed me to get a PhD. Because I am freaking dumb. Uh, if for if you need no other reasoning or no other proof, I went out with Brandon Lilly at you know at your deal, <laughs> and I was the only one that went out with Brandon Lilly that night. I had First a blast, <laughs> but uh, it was uh, it was a rough next morning. I'll tell you that uh, you have uh, you got way more fight in you than I do. I see that. And I'm like, I got to go the other way. I got to get up and actually be a human being tomorrow. You guys fucking went hard, which I fucking appreciate. Um, yeah, I, I've been thinking a lot on this piece, man. Like, like, what is what does the world look like post Louie? And uh, one of the most hilarious things that um, when we were at Westside, when we got to talk to Lou and it was actually Tom that said this, he goes, you know, Lou doesn't really do podcasts, but he'll do yours. And uh I asked him, I'm like, how is, uh, how's this whole kind of social media influencer thing going? He goes, some guy came in, introduced himself to Lou as at, you know, whatever his handle was. And Lou, he's like, your name is at? And the guy's like, no, 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 no. That's my handle on Instagram. It's at, you know, fitness junkie 9 million or something. And Louie just like shook his fucking head and turned around and walked away and didn't talk to the dude. And the dude was like, <laughs> like couldn't fathom it. And, you know, like, I mean, Louie comes from a, like, I was trying to give people perspective. Uh, the first time I heard about Westside, it was one of their videos. Kevin Doherty was my roommate in college. He had these Westside, you know, bench videos. And at the end in this grainy shitty thing that you, you know, had to send away and they sent it to you in a manila envelope. Um, you know, there's a phone number, you know, 614-801-2060. Yep. And you know what? It was a good chance 
Lou either picked up or Doris picked up. And then she'd be like, Lou, and scream. And Louie would come to the phone. Hello, Louie, Westside Barbell. And uh, that was I their mean, home she, phone number for yeah. forever. Yeah, yeah, forever. I mean, that was at like rang at their house. And if it, yep. and, and you know, and if there was no answering machine, it was because he was training and you know, you got to call back at another time. And like, that's how this shit existed. And yeah. uh, I mean, you know why the number changed? Because a bunch of people started showing up at their house instead of the gym. Ah. <laughs> so they would be able to look up the number and get an address from there. So then instead of, you know, people just randomly showing up at the gym, they were showing up at their house. At least that's what Doris told me. No, I, Whenever I, I yeah, I, I was calling, you know, because I've got that number just etched into my brain from calling it so many times from age 20 on that, uh, you know, that, that you know, I, I, I would still call it and then I'd have to go look up the number on the website because I couldn't remember what the new one was. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, yeah. I mean, I've, I've just been thinking a bunch on this, like what does strength conditioning look like? And you know what? It's kind of an interesting piece because I think Louie was such an innovator, not only with his equipment, you know, the, uh, you know, the West side deal. Yeah. And I, I remember when he first hit me up to go out there, uh, he sent me his book of methods and, you know, of course he's so generous. He sent me all their stuff and I read it thinking that, you know, there was going to be a test obviously when we showed up. And yeah. when I got there, I realized that nothing of what they were doing in the book was happening in West side. And I asked him, I'm like, Hey man, like, you know, you, you write this and this, and this is what's happening. And he's like, well, this is, the book of Westside, what happens at Westside has to happen. And it's a malleable program. And this is what the adjustments, and this is what I see. And like the existence of Westside happens in this environment, but you only know it once you're in the crucible, you know? Yeah. Yeah. uh, You know, Lou is real interesting. One of the things that I noticed about him was if you, he would talk to anybody, but there was like levels of getting through, like you had to prove that you knew and you cared and you did all the, you know, these other things. And then he would give like a, a deeper layer of information. And, uh, you know, so it was, uh, it was pretty, pretty interesting the way things went there. It's like, you had to earn your way in, uh, even as, uh, of course you had to earn your way in as a lifter and then you had to earn your way in through the, the knowledge and information. And, uh, you know, he would give people answers, but it wasn't always everything. And then later, you know, after three years or so of me coming out there, it was uh, I asked a question. And then three hours later, we would find we would have the answer and we would have deep dove on everything. And it was uh, for those who don't didn't get to experience that in their life. I, I feel sorry for them. Because that's that's something that I, I greatly treasured was uh, how deep and not just the depth that he went, but I wonder how much money that guy lost by talking to me instead of making more videos or writing more things or whatever. And it was complete passion uh, what what led to that. And that's you know that that's what I hope I can pass on from Louis is that uh, that that you know that sort of passion that that I don't. I try not to big time people, but sometimes it happens, especially at conference. I mean, shoot, I, I felt like shit whenever I couldn't talk to you for longer, John, at that thing, at the, whatever that was, whenever I was in Texas, San Antonio, right? Uh, uh, the TSEC. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, yeah. no, no, no. Well, it was at uh, the coaches. Coaches. That was it. Yeah. It was a coaches conference. It was just a passing handshake that I could do. And then I had to, oh, yeah, to dude. run on. Yeah. Cause, dude, you're you know, never going to hurt my feelings, dude. Yeah. But, uh, you know, that's, that's something I hope I can, I can do. And I, I know that there's times whenever I write big time people, uh, it, it completely unintentionally just cause I'm too freaking busy. Uh, with, did, uh, did the whole velocity, I mean, um, 
I had a pretty interesting conversation with Louie about uh, uh, the Tendo and velocity-based training. Yeah. Uh, and I remember he made an interesting point where he said, you know, when they set up the Tendo, Dave Tate was the, was the fastest on everything, but yet mm-hmm. he was by far the weakest in the gym. Now, I don't yeah. know if that was Louie just, you know, motherfucking Dave. Uh, you know, they had a tumultuous relationship. But he's like, you yeah. know, uh, that thing was, you know, Dave was the fastest on it, at, you know, and won everything. But he was by far the weakest in the bench and the squat and the deadlift. And uh, he goes, you know, it's not indicative of uh, total strength. And I wondered oh. if that was just the way they were using it or if that was kind of the initial kind of for you to to start down this road. You know, the initial man, uh, I don't know if you guys want to want this, but I can I could send it to you. Uh, Rick actually sent me the picture from the day that, you know, VBT was born. I, and I put it on my Facebook, I think, a, a while back. But um yeah. So for, for some of it, yeah, I think Lou was, was coming back at Dave. Cause I mean, Lou comes at everybody. So, you know, whatever, <laughs> if he doesn't come at you, that means, you know, well, uh, that you're a real piece of shit, but um, <laughs> that, uh, but yeah. So as far as that goes, there are force velocity relationships and a lot of times they are going to deviate on the velocity of the spectrum uh, by velocity of the spectrum. I mean, that unloaded those jumps, the 20%, the 30% and lower, uh, that's where a lot of the deviations are going to occur. And it, now it's absolutely true that the velocity into the spectrum does not indicate, uh, does not dictate the force into the spectrum. You know, if you look and you know, whenever you want to get deep into that, you really start looking at the research by JB Marin with a tremendous amount of force velocity profiles he's got. And we'll be publishing some research, I'd say within the next two years from, from here uh, with athletes and how they respond to different forms of training and, and things. Um, but yeah, that, uh, no, it, it's absolutely right. If you, just because you're the strongest at the velocity of the spectrum does not mean you're the strongest at the force in the spectrum. I mean, shoot, um, at least on the squat and bench, Pat Ivy would kick my ass on the velocity stuff, all the dynamic effort stuff. He beat me. Uh, but on bench day and squat day, max effort, I had him. And it was, that's the way it was every time. This was deadlift. And I mean, that dude's hands wrapped around the bar four freaking times. And yeah, he's got long I don't arms. think. Dude, yeah. I mean, it, my arm, I can't even reach the bottom of my pockets, right? At standing with my my arm length. Great for bench, horrible for everything else. But uh, 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 did, uh, Pat, Pat Ivy does hold the record for the most perfectly manicured hairline and mustache that we've ever had on the podcast. I'm sure he does. As opposed to me, I got this bushy shit going on <laughs> right now. I, I just don't care. I, I was like, Pat, I don't know how this, I mean, does this just grow in like this? Or do you have a team of individuals that help you achieve this? And he was like, <laughs> he just started fucking laughing. He's like, uh, there's right. a team and he spend hours on it. <laughs> I, I don't know. He has a team both. that spends hours both. Yeah. <laughs> we'll post a picture of Pat Ivy on the, uh, here. Uh, but uh, let's get the, uh, the pre team and post team beard pictures. I bet that would be great. <laughs> oh shit. Uh, the, um, so with the Tendo stuff, I mean, this is, you know, and then obviously going into velocity-based training, I mean, this even takes a step back farther into, you know, uh, for me as a, you know, and this is so interesting for me as a young kid, um, you know, training in Zangus's garage, him talking about compensatory acceleration and more important, yeah. Fred Hatfield, and the idea of as mechanical advantage increases, so to speed, and the idea of like, I want you to be so violent with the weights, I want you to try to fucking break them, and, uh, you know, this is you know, me at 14 years old, not really understanding what this old man's trying to teach me, which is I want you to fucking break these motherfuckers. I want you to be so violent with weights that if somebody's watching, I want them to come over and be like, seriously, you're going to hurt yourself. And that was, 
you know, 14 years old. I mean, same thing with punching. I don't want you just to punch an individual. I want you to punch three punch to four inches through them. So you're trying to punch yeah. your hands through the other side. And, uh, you know, this was how we trained. And when I got the chance to go play college in the NFL, there was always this thing like, how come this guy can punch people so hard? How come all this stuff goes? And I'm like, dude, this is what we were trained from the time I was 14 years old. And, uh, you know, you had a 500 pound bench press where you're trying to fucking break people on every, uh, on every punch. Uh, it correlates. And it wasn't until we ended up getting the tendo and started getting into this velocity of ACE training to realize that this is something that can be cultured and developed over a lifetime if it becomes, you know, uh, important at an early age, especially early in the training. Yeah. And I, I think that goes back to those, probably the, I have to go back and look at the research. There's a, a book on, I can't call Lou to find the book. Um, it was by a Polish guy and it had to do with eight, you know, like long-term athletic development. The, the cover of it was kind of like a pinkish and it had some different implements on the cover too. I want to say the author was Drabik, but uh, like I said, I would, I'd have to call Lou because uh, that was. Uh, we're we're going to have to get a Ouija board for that one. Yeah, man. 2002, I think is whenever I read that book. And that was talking about some of the speed windows at, at for males at seven and 14 and the girls for seven and 11, I believe. And um so then that, that's just kind of interesting to me that so these speed windows are the times whenever like the nervous system is more, most primed, most receptive to make those sorts of connections uh, neuromuscularly. And, uh, you know, it's just that you happen to be with somebody who you were at the right place at the right time, man. So you got to you, you took advantage of that window. Uh, you know, that's probably is that about whenever you hit that growth spurt and then you couldn't move anymore and then uh, and then you went in and and. Was Angus, yeah. yeah. So yeah, your, it, your it nervous was, system uh, was at that prime point, man. Yeah, no, it was it was really weird. It was um, I started with Zangus when I was fourteen or fifteen, and it was uh, I was pretty fast up until sixth and seventh grade, and then I grew a bunch. And it was yeah. actually eighth grade where I was fucking deathly slow. And I've, I've told you the story where like I had to go tell the teacher, I'm like, hey, is there something extra I can do because I, I can't go home and show my mom a fucking D or a C in, in PE, and uh, she yeah. let me do these extra credit runs after school. So I lied to my mom. It's like, hey, I'm going to take the bus and shit and or you pick me up later and i would do these extra credit runs so i could get an a and uh this is always where i joke with people that like shame is a powerful fucking motivator and if we remove the element of shame from people's lives uh, i'm a little nervous because here i was at 13 years old and i was kind of so embarrassed uh, that i was going to have to go home and show my mom the shitty grade in my report card that i was willing to do anything to not have that shitty grade and more importantly not understanding you know, and not having a resource to reach out to somebody and be like, well, why was I fast and now I'm slow? And somebody be like, yeah. well, you just grew fucking four inches. You're in this, you know, maturation phase. And I mean, I, like there wasn't anybody around me that could tell. And then all of a sudden I start lifting weights and it was as if like, um, I, I can't even like describe it. It was if, it is if once I started lifting weights, I went from uncoordinated to coordinated so quickly that it was like all of a sudden I started lifting weights and I could walk in a straight line whereas I couldn't do it before. Yeah, I, I'm not surprised, man. Yeah, you hit I've, it at that perfect time. I found the book. Yeah. And then, and, what is it uh, called? The, Ch Children in Sports Training, How Your Future Champions Should Exercise to Be Healthy, Fit, and Happy. Dr. Yosef Drabik. Yeah, send me, ah. that on, uh, send me that on Slack. Uh, the other thing, though, that Zangus did, which um, I wouldn't ever recommend, uh, and I think now caused more trouble than it helped, 
is uh, he had us wear knee wraps, those real tight gold, because, uh, you know, Marathon. Oh, invented. double gold line, baby. Yeah, yeah I remember so he, those. So George invented those. And, uh, uh, yeah, because he invented the deadlift suit, too, right? Well, he invented the super suit, the squat suit. So he yeah, was Yeah, but one. it was it sucked for squat, but he, whenever he turned it around and used it for deadlift, it was pretty good. Yeah, oh dude, the squat was awful because the, the seams would rip you to pieces. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, but it's he, all the single ply suits yeah. back then. Holy cow, man. So he invented the the wraps. So he used to have us wrap up uh pretty early on. And his whole thing was that the wraps are going to speed up the accentuation phase and that it can give you more drive out of the bottom to increase yeah, yeah, compensatory yeah, yeah. acceleration. The only problem is, is that, you know, your undeveloped knees and whatever, I ended up developing terrible patellar tendonitis from it. Because I was going to ask you, did you have Oshkin slaughters? I did not. But Interesting. I, I ended up developing patellar tendonitis because we were smashing the fucking patella into the knee. Yeah. And it wasn't like we were, and I, I mean, we were like, let's say if I squatted 300 pounds, I was wrapping anything over 200. So, I mean, we would do like one or two warmups. And then the, our first working sets, we wrapped every wor- working set. And the idea was we wanted more pop out of the bottom for more speed. Yeah. And I ended up just developing, you know, it was stupid. Like the tendon strength wasn't there to be able to develop it. Yeah, and no, because it was mechanical being done by the, uh, all the mechanical strength was being done by the wrap at the bottom instead of that, uh, how that patella is supposed to actually stick out to improve the, uh, what is that, the moment arm uh, for the for the quadriceps so that you would get more pop out of it. So you're kind of robbing Peter to pay Paul and then, uh, and then, Paul said, no, screw you too. And, uh, took everything and gave it to Joe. Yeah. You know? So, it, so. Uh, like, I understand what he was trying to accomplish. Uh, yeah. but, uh, there, you know, that would have been fine if I was 18 or 20 after it already been, you know, pretty strong and, you know, no belt, no wraps, no nothing. And yeah. a pretty good strength and then put it on later in life. Dude, I was, but you know, thinking about the stuff that was available to us and to him at that time, you know, if, if I went back to whenever we were 14, I can't say that. I don't know if I wouldn't have thought that that was the best idea because that was making you move faster. You know, kind of, they didn't have the bands then to mm-hmm. put onto the bar. So where were you going to get more velocity from? Well, something external that would come from your, uh, would come from the knee wraps. And I kind of, you know, uh, you just don't think about all of the unintended consequences. Like, um, uh, yeah, like you know what? Okay, that's going to make you go faster. But what's the what's going to occur for the change of the uh, the 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 tendon? And I know some people, now I, they might have had this anyways, right? But some of the guys that I was lifting with back in the day, that whenever we started wrapping, and it could have been that it was the vastus lateralis to medialis imbalance, and it got worse from squatting. But they ended up getting chondromalacia, and I mm. just assumed that it was from driving the patella repeatedly down into that uh what is that called inner from uh the femoral notch yeah and, well, they were uh, probably sitting back with a vertical shin and then sitting down and so that the effect was driving forces down into the patella instead of getting positive shin angle and actually getting into like a more neutral position yeah well we were this is high school before i learned how to box squat so you know they were they all the knees were coming forward back then but yeah i i, I don't know if it were the box squat i'd 100 say on the nose um uh, but yeah, I don't, I don't know. I, I would, Lou always bitched that bitched at me about my knees coming too far forward on squatting. So, you know, it, it, I, I don't know if it would have been that or not. Well, the, uh, it wasn't, so I, I fucked, uh, the patellar tendonitis plagued me until, uh, I got to college and we started wearing Oli shoes. And then I started Olympic mm. squatting and getting a ton of positive shin angle. And once I got my knees over my toes, effectively it strengthened my patellas and I never had patellar tendonitis again. Yeah, so we were wearing only shoes back then to squat in. 
So there's a guy named Charlie McLean who was the first uh, first person at 181 or below to squat 600 pounds. Uh, and this is so this would have been back in like the he was lifting and powerlifting back in the early 80s, right? So uh, it, that was raw or that was ace bandage and you know whatever. Uh, and uh, and tennis balls he, behind the knees. That's what George exactly. Was, yeah, yeah. They would tape tennis balls behind the knees. Yeah, yeah. I get a little spring out of the bottom. And that's, he's who, who got me to start doing that. Uh, it was only shoes or uh, work boots. And if you have a work boot, trying to find the one with a little bit bigger heel. Hmm. And uh, so, yeah, we, I was, you know, fortunate. I like everywhere I've been, it's like, I'm just, I'm a sponge. That's the only thing that makes me different from anybody else. I've been at the right place at the right time. And I've been a sponge to the people that were pouring out that information. And um, you know, that that's, that's what's made me, me. And it's not, you know, anything's I'm uncomfortable with, you know, this whole thing of of people. I I got a text from somebody who's like, hey, I'd like a call from one of the goats to for this job. Would you please call for me? I'm like, dude, don't don't fucking do that to me. I fucking hate the term goat. And uh, Uh, I think I'm completely. Yeah, it it fucking I mean, like I could understand like when they used it like it. I feel like people have attached it to anything when I'm watching something with some fucking Hollywood actor referring to somebody. I'm like, get the fuck out of here. There should only be one greatest of all time. And she probably, Cool J. Maybe you could attach it to Jordan. That's it. Like, uh, that's all I give it. Maybe a Tom Brady gets the goat, but like at the end of the day, I fucking hate that somebody throws that out. And every time I see it, I cringe a little bit. I'll put that on my cringe memes there. Yeah. I'll I'll hashtag that. But, and people, you throw it around so fucking easily. I mean, you could throw yeah. it on Louis Simmons, and I'd be like, "Absolutely, there's that's a, legit." Yeah, for me, I'm, no, fuck no. Well, with no. the uh, so with the uh, uh, evolution of velocity based training, I mean, obviously you have you know Fred Hat, Fat, or sorry, Fred yeah. Hatfield, compensatory acceleration, talking about the the torque meter. You remember him talking about his mm-hmm. torque meter, and then this evolution into the tendo and this, like, like give us a little bit of like history on this and kind of how it started, and more importantly, where we're at today. And then the idea of, you know, training within it, like I, um, you know, uh, like we talked about compensatory acceleration. It was really fascinating because uh, I realized that a lot of people couldn't understand it and didn't have the wherewithal or the inter and intermuscular coordination to make it happen. And then adding, using some accommodating resistance was actually uh, an excellent external marker into teaching yeah. them acceleration. So I wonder if we could get into a little bit of history and more importantly, how we can kind of drive and take this to the masses and the benefit of it. Yeah. Uh, so what I here's where it, it started out from, at least for me, is, uh, you know, if you look back at some of the old Bud Scharniga, uh books that Lou was talking about, you know, the uh, and specifically the training of the weightlifter that he he had mentioned as the first one that he read. Well, there was speeds in there. Right. It was M slash S or MS superscript negative one. And I had no idea what that meant. Right. But I remembered it. And um whenever we were at West side that day, you know, when I've got that picture from, that's the first time that I think Lou had the, either the article on the Tindo would come out that month or it was getting ready to come out the next month. I'm like, dude, I know what to do with this. And then went back and applied it with the athletes at uh, Southwest Missouri and Missouri state. And, uh, and then eventually university of Missouri and found that the load velocity relationships were all pretty solid for the football team, the baseball team, and at SMS or basketball team. Now, you know, if you've got a directional school, you're not going to have like, I mean, our, our center was six, five. 
I don't mean center on the football team. I mean, center on the basketball team, the six, five. So we, our basketball team was basically a football, te- you know, just the, the skill players on the football team. Right. And the load velocity relationships were all within 0.06 or 0.08 meters per second per every, you know, 60%, 70%, 80%. So I thought that we had something and, uh, you know, my 21 year old ass is thinking I'm the brightest thing that's ever walked the face of the earth at this point in time. You know, I, I know everything because I'm 21. And uh, I thought that, you know, this must be it, uh, that this is just solid. It's concrete. It won't change because it's worked for these sport, different sports at two different universities, which, you know, are an hour and a half, uh, two and a half hours apart. So, I mean, really, it's, you know, it it was more uh, homogenous than heterogeneous. But I didn't know that back then because I but I wouldn't have listened to anybody anyways because nobody could. Twenty one. Yeah, Yeah, I'm twenty one. I'm yeah. You can't tell me shit. (laughs) And then uh, then, you know, here we go through and we find out some more stuff. We go through Mizzou and the the zones pop up. And here's why the zones happened. Uh, Have you ever had, you know, some people don't understand this and here's where Dan and I really varied. Uh, there's two spots, but by Dan, I mean, Dan Baker, the other VBT guy, Dan's rugby groups are pretty small and it would be nothing for us to have hundred, 120 people. You know, you have the whole football team on there or the whole track team or something. And you're trying to work with a massive amount of people at the same time and have multiple different coaches. And, um, we had a coach on staff at one point whenever we we're doing a lot of the VBT that um, you got to write for the lowest common denominator so that nothing gets majorly fucked up. Right. Cause if you tell the person, this person to stop, he keeps going because he doesn't understand the word stop. I mean, he was that dumb. he's my mom would say he's D U M dumb, right. That this individual. So we had to write everything for that. So we had to go with the means and just use the, create those zones. So nobody would mess it up. Now the zones were perfect for squat and deadlift. They were off for bench press, but let's be honest, who gave two shits? Uh, you know, John, have you ever seen anybody walk out of the tunnel on their hands? No. And uh, it's surprising. Nobody's ever, nobody in my entire NFL career asked me what my bench press was on the field, like in between plays. Hey, would you bench? Never yeah. happened. Nah. So we just rolled with the same speeds because why are we going to learn something different for something that doesn't matter? Mm-hmm. Where are you going to emphasize something that's unimportant? It just, it, 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 it befuddles me whenever somebody wants to go through that amount of precision and work for something that doesn't matter. Well, that, and, and also, um, I never found my hand speed and the velocity for the upper body came from the bench press. It was actually, oh, no, all, it was all from the med ball work. Yeah. So it, oh, it, it, it was, yeah, I mean the squat and the deadlift I get, but it was actually all the med ball work and the throws and do like the whole med ball circuit that I, that, uh, I did through my NFL career and picking up different balls at different weights. Sometimes it was heavy. Some days it was, it was lighter and fast. Yeah. That was actually a much more, uh, beneficial for me in terms of hand speed than yeah. any bench press. No, absolutely. Uh, I, I completely believe it because what is a hand punch? Well, that's, an unloaded velocity into the spectrum. Yeah. How close can you get to an unloaded velocity into the spectrum on a bench? You can't because you are going to, unless you're doing a bench throw, that's the only way that you would be able to do it. And yeah. uh, I trust nobody. So I never did bench throws with my athletes because, you know, I don't trust anyone. I've got this uh, XPT rack that we're getting ready to make a couple of modifications on and try and do an EMG study for bench throws with the, uh, with the break and without the break. 
Um, that's uh, I've got a, a one of my doc students who's going to be running that for me this summer. Um, so we could, you know, we could potentially I would you know consider programming them now. But I mean, hand speed is velocity into the spectrum. You've got to train the velocity into the spectrum to improve it. Uh, specific adaptation supposed to mass, but I didn't understand that back then either. Yeah. Uh, and then eventually, what's because we weren't friends. Yeah, if we were, right. If, if we were friends, I could ask you. Somebody always, uh, people would be like, "Yeah, you have a big bench." I'm like, "Yeah, but the big bench is more about creating strength in the content, uh, connective tissues for yeah. survival." Uh, it, you know, the hand speed and the velocity stuff comes from the med ball throws, yeah. and uh, and especially uh, all the transverse rotational med ball throws that I did. I think allowed me to avoid any back injury because the mechanism that I would see is guys would sit this way, and then they would get loaded here from the side and then hurt their backs. And so what I focused a lot on, on was transverse rotation catch, okay. load, 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 step, and uh, just trying to basically mimic all the injury mechanisms that I saw, but then mimicking them with med balls and then being able to overload them. So if I did get hit from the side in a, you know, in a rotated position, it didn't affect me in the same ways. And that's training the fascial sling systems quite well that would be uh, responsible for that as, you know, on, on top of it. So, and that's something I didn't get whenever I was 21 either, you know. And then, um, yeah, the, the books came through as a result of people just asking me questions because, uh, matter of fact, I think it was Bert Soren sponsored a something at the 2006 CSCCA, some roundtable thing, and I just started talking. And then a lot of people started asking me questions. And then I think the next year I gave a talk in a small room on it uh, because everybody had so many questions based on what we were doing. And then I wrote the first book because I got tired of responding to emails. Um, you know, not, I, I guess I'm a bit of a dick sometimes uh, or just, you know, slightly introverted to where it's like I've got I, I don't want to say the same thing over and over and over again. This annoys me. And uh, so I wrote the book and then I learned more. I wrote another book and then I learned more. And then I where are we on the I have no idea what edition this is. Third, fourth, fifth. I, I got no fucking clue. Uh but then, you know, it's just the more that I learned, the more that I came into it. And, uh, of course, we've got the Olympic lifts. have got different velocities because there's a different range of motion. And now I'm to the point where, um, God, I wish, I wish, I wish, I wish I wouldn't open my mouth so early. You know, I, I think if I would have found this at 31 instead of 21, things would be different. Um, How because. So? Well, because so many people have taken it and put it in as gospel and all they do is velocity stuff and they don't train on the strength end or they train inappropriately and they change with train with poor technique where now I think that yeah. I use VBT. So here's how I use VBT today, right? I use it for speed, strength and strength speed. And I use it for uh freaking it's on the fourth edition text that we said. Yeah. 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 Fourth edition. Yeah. Good. I have no idea. I, you know, uh, and I also use it as a diagnostic to find what is the what is the person poor at. And I actually have uh, hijacked something that Jeremy Shepard did. Have you guys had him on the show before? No, but we'd love to. Yeah, oh, no. dude. If you can make an introduction, we always are happy. Yeah. Anybody like yeah. you that recommends, we're, we're happy to have him on in our striving thing to bring and put a spotlight on the best individuals in the world that don't just have the fucking best Instagram following. Oh yeah, I don't even know if he has an Instagram. Perfect. Uh, yeah, he, that's he's, right. he's, he's amazing. <laughs> yeah, uh, somebody he's, that uh, nobody knows that all of a sudden becomes like the like like the Keith Barr podcast where we have Keith. You, you know Keith Barr. I have never met him. I'm familiar with his work, and one of these days I want to sit down and talk to him because I think there's a disconnect uh, 
from some of the stuff that I'm saying and some of the stuff that he's saying, but I think that it's basically that he hasn't been in college. So like some of the stuff, like uh, long story short, uh, yeah, I know what his progressions are for the people to, who are more springy and, and tendinous dominant and what his you know recommendations are for that. I have never had those time periods that he's mentioning. So my recommendations for those people that are springy, like that, uh, that white French dude, uh, that was the only, that was the first now there, now there's at least two white dudes from sub 10, but, uh, <clears throat> that, you know, whenever they started heavy strength training, he did, did really poorly. Yeah. And uh, I get everything that he's saying, but my disagreement comes from the fact that if I got five weeks, five weeks is all I got to train. Mm-hmm. I can't do 12 weeks of this and then follow it up with the, of the heavy training and the ISOs and follow up the ballistics. So all I recommend for those individuals is let's progressively overload the ballistics. Yeah. Uh, but, you know, he's one of the people that I really, I, I want to actually get his contact info from you guys or from yeah. Travis. And uh, I want to get him uh, while I'm still conference, not con- yeah, conference committee chair uh, to get him to come speak at the NSCA national conference next year. No, so, he, he had some really great stuff about, uh, you know, for my shoulder rehab, the idea that, um, uh, you know, the worst thing you can do for a capsule is uh, a real tight compression. And actually, it was uh, Kelly Starrett's uh, voodoo floss. I was voodoo flossing my, my shoulder trying to get it because I was, uh, I ended up, uh, this is years ago, detaching my infraspinatus and I started losing range of motion. And Kelly's like, hey, you got to yeah. do this, you know, real tight wrap voodoo floss, kind of work it through. So I was doing that. And all it did was it tightened the capsule and pretty much, created this uh like weird frozen like something that presented like frozen shoulder but only in the back and it's something that i've been dealing with ever since and i had keith Barr on and we were talking about it he's like the single worst thing that you could do for your shoulder injury was compression you need shear and you need load so uh pnf and then somebody that'll fucking murder the tissues and he's like if you'd come to me you know 10 years ago you wouldn't have the shoulder injury that you have today i mean he he had some really good stuff on that you know there's Things that you learn after the fact, you know, hindsight's 2020. Yeah. Holy shit. It's hindsight 2020. Uh, I just hope one day we get a time machine where I can go back and find the early me and be like, don't fucking do this. Here's the kicker. <laughs> you wouldn't listen to him. Uh, I would. Who's this guy? If I fucking showed up and I was like, Hey, here's the deal. And, uh, I, I was searching enough. Oh, fuck. Who knows? We probably wouldn't listen. All right. Well, fuck all that. All right. So <laughs> I want to take a pause and moment. You've mentioned, Two adaptation, two specific adaptations on and the velocity-based spectrum. Can we just take yeah. a second to give folks the specific adaptation spectrum of VBT and then head back oh, in our direction? Yeah, and and I kind of like don't even go over that a whole hell of a lot anymore because I think that people are majoring in minor. And honestly, that's that's where I was going with John. That I was like, man, you know, if I had to do it all over again, I don't, I you know, I might not even open my mouth in the first place. Um, you know, because so many people are like, well, I'm doing this for starting strength. They're like, dude, you can't even, you don't even have strength. Why are you worrying about starting strength? So this is where we get into this deal. Uh, I've been saying it fucking for, since I did my very first cross at football seminar, strength is the platform at which everything is built. Unless you're strong, none of this applies. And uh, the other issue we run into, and especially with the BBT, and we've seen it with compensatory acceleration, we've also seen it with uh, um, accommodating resistance. If you don't have enough training reps underneath your belt to effectively have perfected your technique, it fucking it's a, it's, it's wasted. It's pointless. Like yeah. I mean, I I watch people. Oh, I'm a you know BBT. We're working on this and this, and their technique is so bad that I'm like, dude, there's 
I mean, just the forcefully demo effect of what you're doing. You're just, it, it, it's like fucking cornering your car with loose lug nuts. I mean, it doesn't make sense. And so I like, this is where we get into this. Like there's a progression, like you have to be strong and you have to make sure your technique is dialed or any of this, this work is wasted. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. Matter of fact, talking about the strong first, that's actually a, your, here's a Louis Simmons story from 2003. Uh, yeah, it was 2003 that, uh, so after one of my, you know, one of the visits out there, I come back and with the women's soccer and softball teams, I start doing speed press, right? What happens for me doing speed press? Well, I expect their benches to go up. They don't go up. They don't move at all. And I call them up. I'm like, Lou, the speed press isn't working. What's going on? And he's like, well, here you doing right. Like, well, I'm doing it with the women's soccer team. Well, there's a problem. They're already weak. They're, they're weaker than kittens. You, you, they got to get strong first before they can do anything like this. I mean, 40, 40% of 300 pounds is 120 pounds. And you're, you're supposed to be doing 40 pounds of their max. And their max is 50. Well, that's 20. That's less than the barbell. They're not strong enough to start doing it. That's what your problem is. And uh, for those who have never heard Louie talk, dude, it's pretty that, good. Uh, that's uh, it's it's pretty good for Lou, you know, before it got near the end. Yeah. yeah. You know, it, whenever he would get wound up and excited, whenever he was talking in the gym, you know, but if the only Louis Simmons voice they ever heard was, was the end, uh, then that, you know, they, they don't, they don't get it. Yeah. But, uh, you know, so starting strength, which I really need to follow uh, Virko Shansky's model and just change the terminology. Uh, because mm. it, it it's not understood appropriately. It, it should actually be starting speed because this is the ability to rapidly overcome inertia and start fast. How fast can you go from, from jump? And is some of that going to be related to absolute strength for that first step? Absolutely. And that's the fucking point. You need to be strong before you do this stuff. Uh, <laughs> and, it, you know, to just rapidly overcome inertia on that. So that's that's what it, what it is. And that starting speed is typically around 15 to 40%. And then uh, also, here's some things that people are talking about on the zones. Like, well, are you telling me that a 37% I'm not, I'm training uh, starting strength and a 41% I'm training speed strength? No, you jackass. Everything's a continuum. Whenever uh, you think it's a freaking door right there, that means you're, yeah, never nothing mind. exists I'm not in a vacuum. There. I mean, no, nothing is. I mean, it's uh, like we used to get into this a little bit with uh, with reps, and I am, it's either in, uh, Berkashansky, or it was in uh, Zadiskorsky's Science and Practice, where he talked about myofibular versus sarcomplasmic uh, hypertrophy. Uh, it's, it's it's both. Yeah, and no, SIF. No, yeah. and and SIF. So so I mean they they got into this one to three, three to five, five to seven, you know, and they kind of yeah. gave rep ranges for what they believed were like developing different fiber types of muscle, not realizing that uh, like it's not like well I did four, I'm training myofibular. Oh no, you did five, now you're sarcomplasmic. I'm like, dude, it doesn't exist in a vacuum. This thing's no. an accumulation. I mean, there's you know dudes that have done singles, doubles, and triples that have put on massive amounts of fucking sarcomplasmic hypertrophy, and there's dudes yeah. that have done eights that have, you know. So it's like it, you know, there's so many extraneous factors that are playing into this that to just look at it and say, oh, cut and dry, it doesn't exist. And we're talking about human yeah. organisms and millions of different uh, you know opportunities for this. And the way that fibers happen and the different, you know, and all the different adaptations that occur in training. I mean, holy cow. It, I mean, think anybody, about age. You think about oh, age, dude. location, uh, diet, uh, intent. I mean, environment, just all, there's too many factors. There, yeah, 100%. And then uh, from there, after the speed strength, we really get into the two sides of peak power. And this is, this is the other aspect where Dan and I vary. 
Dan likes to train at peak power. I don't. I like to train either slightly to the force side or slightly to the speed side. I want to kind of overload power from one aspect. Uh, and that's, you know, who's right? Uh, me, because, you know, I'm arrogant. Uh, but no, actually, we don't know. This is just the, the variance. Um, I train over or under with strength speed and speed strength. Strength speed's a little bit more towards the velocity. I'm sorry, uh, load into the spectrum. Speed strength's a little bit more towards the velocity into the spectrum, right? Uh, then after that, you've got accelerative strength, which isn't accelerating down a track. It's, you know, 60 to 80%. It's heavy, but it's still, you know, you can still move it kind of fast and you can still, and the great thing about it is once you cross 60%, that's whenever you start spending a lot more of your time in acceleration rather than deceleration. Yeah. And once you hit that 80%, you're, you're, I think you're something like 90% plus of your time is spent in acceleration, uh, which is, which is great. Right. And that's, you know, going back to Fred and even uh, Dr. Mike Stone, who's like, you can't lift a heavyweight slow. They're absolutely right. If you slow down on a heavy load, you're going to fall back down. But at the same time, you can also slow down the way that the rate coding works uh, for truly high velocity movements because we get back into specificity. Then, of course, over 80 percent is going to be absolute strength, like I had had mentioned. And, uh, you know, whenever you get down to it, if uh, I told you that, hey, if we're training five reps and heavier, you're training strength. Okay? But if we're doing five reps and we lighten the load on it, you're doing speed and nobody's going to be arguing there. Uh, and that's a bit essentially what I've done with BBT is so let's just, you know, relate everything back and, and, you know, overlap the things. And that's where the truth lies. Uh, and, and that's something that Buddy Morris told me. Yeah. Cause I remember it was actually on that same freaking visit. Uh, so uh, what had happened was Rick Perry, now he's an assistant in Northwestern, used to be with the Bears before that Central Michigan, before that Notre Dame, before that SMS. Uh, where he became my mentor. And actually before that, he worked for uh, Fred Roll at Kansas. Well, uh, so we had gone over to visit Buddy and Thomas Linsky, uh, who is another person. I don't know if you'd be able to get Milo on a podcast or not. And he is anti-social media as you can get, but he is the, you know, honestly, if there's somebody that it was going to be replacing Louie, I think it should be Milo, uh, you know, because he just, he, he's that dude. Um, but so I'm sitting there visiting with him and then, uh, Rob Phillips was actually at the Browns at that time too. And, uh, when I had the opportunity to talk to buddy, cause I was so frustrated. I'm like, man, this person's saying this, this person's saying that, you know, Thibodeau's saying this, which is kind of funny. I'm going to see Christian Thibodeau in a couple of weeks. I've never met him before, but you know, I was like, okay, Thibodeau is saying this, that's yours. says this, Sif says this, curse says Are this. you putting Christian Thibodeau in, in the Zadiskorsky Verkashovsky category? No. Fuck no. Oh, I'm not. I got no, 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 no. It was just like, I was a little I, nervous. I read the I'm book. like, I don't put teabag nation fucking anywhere near uh, the grail, especially Christian Thibodeau no, and his fucking no. nonsense. No, it's just, I happen to be remembering uh, reading that book and, uh, and visiting Louie a, a week after, I believe it was the black book of training secrets. Uh, but I was just going back in, uh, in like looking at all these books. I'm like, these people are saying these things. Who's right. And, uh, and buddy goes, it's, it's the overlap. You don't know who's right. They're right based on their perspective and based off of their context, but in the overlap is where we find the truth. And, uh, and, and that's, you know, that, that's all I did is, Hey, let's overlay the percentages of one RM, the repetitions and training with maximal intent. 
And let's see where do these adaptations occur at? Uh, oh, and there's a solid load velocity relationship over 60%. Dude, Bam, done. The, the piece that gets lost, and I hope the listeners take, if they can take one thing from this podcast, is intent. And I think which is interesting is when you start saying, hey, we're going to do five reps, you're going to do five reps at, let's say, 90%, 80%, 70%, 60%. So let's pick different loads uh, over different days. Keep the, you know, the reps the same. You have to move the bar with 100% max intent and intensity regardless of what the percentage is. So obviously, yeah. and, and this is, we see this all the time, and this is where I had the huge fucking, um, uh, you know, basically just like couldn't wrap my head around a single thing Charles Paulquin never fucking talked about when he started talking about timed cons- uh, concentric movements. Like yeah, I, can, I can get if you want to like, hey, like let's slow down the eccentric phase. And, you know, I, I know that to speed up the accentuation phase, you have to speed up the eccentrics. I mean, we got that from Fred Hatfield. But like yeah. I can understand that, you know, if you want to slow down the eccentrics and, you know, have a smooth accentuation phase, let's say on a, on a squat, for example, because you're trying to drive more muscle. But um, I can't ever get away from once you turn the switch and you go back to the concentric, you move from point A to point B as fast as you can. And that was always how we trained. All of a sudden, I'm listening to him, and he's like, you know, three second concentric movements. And at that point, I'm like, fuck, dude, I I have zero input on this, and this is null and void to me. And so, yeah. what's what's interesting a lot of times is what people don't understand is, regardless of the load that you pick, you have to move it from point A to point B as violently as possible, and you let load dictate speed. Hundred percent. That, that that's all I'm ever saying. And that is fucking lost on 99% of the, of the world, especially in the strength training model. Like you have to do right. You know, and the other one, like uh, Arnold make a, made a great point in pumping iron when they were like, Oh, what rep range to put on muscle. And he was like the next one. If I can do eight, it's gotta be nine. If I can do nine, it's gotta be 10. Well, yeah, it's mechanical, you know, mechanical failure. You have to literally push to the next rep to yeah. try to drive muscle. Same with speed. You have to have maximal intent. And uh, that I, I feel like every time I listen to anything on VBT, um, if people could just take that one nugget away, it would fix 99% of these questions. Dude, and here's here's the one that it's like, no matter what, VBT is always going to work. And here's why. There's a study from uh, Randall. And, you know, you, you've probably heard me talk about this before. I don't know if I've talked about it on the podcast because that was 200 episodes ago and many, many, uh, many gl- bottles of rum. Um <laughs> But uh, so this guy named Randall and Nick Gill and John Cronin are on there. And, you know, Nick Gill, strength coach for the New Zealand All Blacks. Well, they took some of the I call it like, I don't know, minor league rugby. You know, it's the their farm club, basically, for the All Blacks. And they had uh, the groups do the exact same percentages of one RM, the exact same sets, reps, rest intervals and everything. And only one thing varied on their jump squats. Right on their jump squats, which was three, uh, three by four or four by three or something like that, twice a week. No, it was three by three, nine repetitions twice a week, 18 reps total. Of I think I figured out that there's 275 reps in there. So we're talking about less than 10% of the program, varied by only receiving the feedback of the velocity. There was no difference in the program. One group got feedback on 18 reps, the other group did not get the feedback on 18 reps. The group that got the feedback on those 18 reps saw better improvements in speed, better improvements in jumping ability, uh, both vertically and horizontally. And uh, as far as strength goes, I don't remember if there was a a difference in the outcomes of of strength. But I mean, at at the end of the day, for me, who cares? Uh, You know, it's 
strength training is an ends to a means. It, it's is what I'm using to enhance speed and power. So if speed and power improve, that that's all that matters. But the, it was a significant improvement over the group that did not receive the feedback. That's it, man. If so, if you can just drive intent, that's the only thing that matters. Uh, load velocity relationships and everything. That's that's cool. That's step two. Step one is drive intent. Step two is make, you know, is to start maybe if you wanted to do some zones and stuff, then step three is load velocity and force velocity profiling to individualize your programs. And, um, you know, that's, that's really it in a, in a nutshell. I mean, you could either, you know, I just saved you, uh, however much the book is, you know, 35 bucks or whatever. Uh, Twenty five. I have no idea how well, much. Well, we're still going to recommend people buy the book because there's there there's great information. But like it, uh, I mean the I, man. I remember it, it was uh, the first time that I ever spoke to Fred Hatfield. I called him on the phone. Uh, I reached out because um, uh, we were in the middle of like so. Th- like this is in the infancy when we were testing Field Strong. Uh, we had like a big kind of training deal. Went through this big training cycle, and we were actually um, using uh, complex EMS devices. So, you yeah. know, I was a big EMS guy because I found it through Charlie Francis. And yep. I remember 19, no, it was 2000. I talk on the phone to Charlie and he recommends the EMS because I was trying to get my patellar tendon to work. And we started getting into uh, sprint percentages. Like the only way you run, you learn to run fast is by running fast. Running slower yeah. than 90, 90, 92% was in a no man's land. And then he made a really interesting point when he said, where's the majority of strength built between 70 and 90%. But yet for sprinting, that's the no man's land. And I was, you know, I'm fucking 23 and I'm like, oh, okay, what, you know, what are you trying to tell me? He said, uh, speed is not, or like strength is not the limiting factor for speed. If, if, if it was, if, you know, like uh, people get stronger, some people run faster when they get stronger. For most people, strength is not the missing element. And, uh, you know, and he called it the no man's land, but it was, um, so, uh, shit, I'm jumping around a bunch. But we did uh, this deal for Field Strong, where we were actually reached out to by Compex, and they want us to test the EMS devices. So we had about 800 people in the um, in the program, Shit. and I think we had about 150, 200 people that had actually bought the Compexes. And then I wrote the programming based off of the stuff that Charlie had sent me years ago. Hey, this is how we're going to do it because I know that these different frequencies tap into these different muscle fibers. And then I had if you were below 40, you would do it. after if you were above 40 you do it before we did a bunch of jumps and it was this whole training cycle uh and i thought that like we were going to come out the other side of this thing with this fucking amazing model to train individuals and uh i just get to the end and there was no single correlation in with any of it i mean certain guys crushed it other guys didn't and so i asked for feedback and to send me the videos and what was interesting was that the guys that did well everybody moved pretty fast on everything. And there was a ton of guys that moved really slow. And, uh, and then that's when I got into actually talking to people about compensatory acceleration, because yes. I realized I had left that out of all of my coaching stuff with CrossFit football in the early days. And, um, what, so then I can, what, I can yeah. add some context here. So this is 2014 and we were offering a, so we had CrossFit football and then we're offering field strong alone. None of the Jack streets or grindstones that we have. So it was a, a leveled up option that people had a more dense or comprehensive is yeah. a better word, strength and conditioning program. And we were writing it as if college team, but we didn't have the video option that yeah. Train Heroic has now. So once we did test and get the videos, then it, it, it compensatory yeah. acceleration was assumed. 
and taught at yeah. the seminars, but, but it, translated to the masses. No, well, we, challenge. yeah, so we would discuss it, but I didn't beat it like we talk about now. And so I, I did this, the only thing I could, I reached out to Fred Hatfield and said, Hey, I used to train in saying, this is garage. Uh, he talked about you. Um, and then the interesting thing was he reached back out comes to find out that Zangus had fucked him on some money or there was a bunch oh. of old, uh, old stuff. And then he was also mad at George because uh, uh, he George was supposed to pay him for when he, he squatted a thousand pounds in his suit and then George fucked him on some money. And then the the suit ripped him to pieces and he was, you know, so there was all this like, I just want to talk about compensatory acceleration. So we had a great fucking conversation and he got into all of like the history of compensatory acceleration, how he did it, how his training was, compensatory acceleration, uh, the torque meter, you know, the percentages that he was using and that he, you know, basically moved, was able to move 800 plus pounds at certain meters per second. And then that translated to a 1200. I mean, so he got into all this beautiful mind shit. And yeah. uh, it was at that point we went back and I realized uh, unless we harp on intent, most people aren't inherently going to know to do it. No. Yeah, no, hundred percent. You know what? One thing that was popping up into my head, whenever you were talking about this, you got those numbers from Charlie for the complex, right? Uh, yeah. So Charlie's working with sprinters. So what we also have to take into account is that the, the like some of the mistakes that I made on homo versus heterogeneity. So who's going to be sprinters? Well, their nervous system is going to be firing at a certain rate. And for the, uh, for somebody who's two a and two X, the nervous system is going to be firing faster than somebody who is typically a type one to a two C uh, and maybe, a, you know, with some decent two a in there. Uh, so then if you are throwing in the, uh, the, what the fuck is it, the word of the, uh, so if the rate coding, so the level of speed, the intent with which that, that signal is going down, yeah, isn't so, matching so, what their fiber type is. You might not have seen results, but so, I bet your fast guys saw the results and everybody else didn't. Well, we took that into account. We actually did a, a Hatfield uh, muscle fiber test where we had them um, uh, take per, uh, max reps at a certain percentage. Uh, like 80%? Yeah, for max reps, uh, yeah. which was just an easy way. And then there was actually uh, different protocols recommended based on who you are because I realized, and this was something that I told Compex, yeah. and I've been telling these guys for years, is that uh, everybody just wants to go to the number one setting. Like they want to go to the max intensity yeah. or the max velocity or the max frequency the problem, and I would always I ask, it. is how much of that high-end fiber type do you have to necessarily work with? <laughs> if you did, you would either be a high-level sprinter or get a chance to play in the NFL. So I had a whole prereq for this, like who are you? You know, yeah. what have you done for your training? And I found that for the majority of the people, somewhere in that, I think it was like eighty to one hundred and five hundred and ten hertz, which is really hitting the fiber type that we're looking for, with not those type two X. Uh, was where the yeah. most people. So I actually dictated, hey, this is like 80% of your block of the Compex EMS device work should be in this range unless yeah. you are uh, have a 40-inch vertical or got a chance to play a decade in the NFL. Right. Yeah. No, 100%. So good. Good. But, good. but yep. yeah, no. But Charlie and I talked about that at great length where he was like, you know, uh, the pro because the machine, the unit that I bought just had like two frequencies. And uh, the frequencies were like top register and then a snatch below. So he talked about, uh, we'll know whether or not this works really quickly if you have the uh, muscle fiber makeup for it to work. So I ended up getting the device and it worked fucking within three weeks, my leg was firing. And he was like, awesome. good, that's good for you. Uh, if uh, uh, if you didn't have that fiber, it wouldn't work for you. Because the machine wouldn't be that, in the NFL. So, well, and, but, but also the machine set, uh, the compacts and also the power dots later on 
had this huge range of different frequencies that they could hit. Yeah. The ghetto ass machines we had only had one or two frequencies. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you know, if it's all you need is one or two, then you can't worry about fucking it up by going too fast, you know, try and go <laughs> to that, you know, that intent, uh, that, that, that max intensity, excuse me. But yeah, something mean, popped into my head here that you gave Fred's last recorded video, right? You yeah. did the last recording with him and now you did it with Lou. Yeah. That's uh, that's quite a badge of honor to, uh, you know, to have been the last recording with, I mean, I don't think goat is a strong enough word um, yeah. icon or, you know, historic. I don't know. I just got, uh, I just got goosebumps chills. Um, yeah, no, I, I, uh, completely unintentional. Um, yeah. Like we, you know, uh, Fred Hatfield was teaching a seminar down in Houston and so we drove down, uh, he reached out to us and said, Hey, I'm, I'm teaching. I don't teach that much anymore. Would you guys come down? So we packed up the truck and, uh, I can't remember if it was Luke or whoever was like, you know, we should go down and do a, uh, talk to me, Johnny on the long road. This is pre podcast. What we used yeah. to do is, uh, bring people in and I would just have these kind of long form kind of podcasts. We call it the long road. So we went down there and got to hang out in his hotel room and talk to him and answer all these questions. And then we went to the seminar and, uh, he gave a, a, you know, incredible Fred Hatfield, you know, uh, talk and then ended up passing away pretty. Well, yeah. Sh- shortly. Uh, shortly thereafter. And then uh, we had been meaning to go do Lou for a podcast for, I mean, for years. And uh, it was actually when you texted me, hey, you know, Lou's going, you know, Lou's struggling yeah. a little bit. Can you, know, you think yep. we could reach out to Dr. Tom about him? Uh, I think I said the text like we got to fucking go. And then well, we got asked to speak at, at the, Arnold. the Arnold education piece. And, uh, it just kind of linked up that way. And then I you know, reached out to Tom and, you know, Hey, Lou's not going to do any more podcasts. He doesn't feel good. And then Tom, uh, reached back and said, Hey, you know, uh, Lou won't do a podcast, but he said, he'll do yours. He said, you're about the only person in the world that he's willing to do one with. Man. Yeah, so, I'm, I'm so glad you got that, man. Yeah, I, I had to stop it and cry a couple of times. I'm not going to lie, hearing his voice and and uh, and after the fact. As a matter of fact, I I'm not going to say where I was, but whenever I landed, um, I, I was on something that was very very important for me to be on on for, and that's whenever I got the text that he went and you know there's it, 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 my wife is like what 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 was it about this guy, you know because I've lost a lot of people. And uh, outside of my grandparents, nobody hit me like Lou. And, uh, and and some of it's the regret because I didn't. One, it took me, I think, four or five days to hit you with that text about Inky. And I'm like, if I would have called four or five days earlier, would that have, would that have changed anything? And, uh, you know, and, and then, uh, you know, on top of that, it's all the impact that he did for me for my career. And. I don't know if I actually got the chance to ever fully express that to him. And, um, yeah, cause there would be no Brian man if there weren't Louis Simmons, you know, let's just be honest. Yeah. It was the, the training that I did while I was there, the guidance that I was got while I was there, the, while some people fold under the, uh, come on, you stupid son of a bitch. Don't, can't you do that? You know, uh, I, I, I thrived under it. Um, yeah. So, and I completely get some people's problems with Lou, but that's also what endeared me to him, you know, that he was just him a hundred percent and he was an asshole, but he was, you know, it's like Patton, right. You know, you, uh, he was all right. He was an asshole, but he was our asshole and we loved him. 
And, uh, and that's how I feel about, about Lou. Um, but yeah, yeah, no, that's, uh, I, you know, I, I'm so, so, so happy that you guys got to do that. If for no other reason than, than mine, my personal, uh, being able to, to hear that, the, you know, hear his voice again, one more time, hear his thoughts and the whole thing about, you know, you're, you, the, the young man is set in his ways and, you know, and, uh, in those thoughts from him, like, you know, and uh, hearing some of the things about him threatening his nurse. I don't know if he talked about it on your podcast or if I heard about it from somebody else, but I guess uh, the day before he went, uh, he thought he was getting, uh, yeah, you know what? I better not say this because that, that that's not, if it wasn't already public, I would hate to, I'd hate to do that, but I'll, I'll say it offline. Yeah, no, he um, was, uh, he, he was all excited. He had just got a, a, a way bigger pulley on his Hellcat and uh, he thought he was going to make like uh, 750, 800 at the rear wheel. And oh. uh, he was like so excited to basically get in this thing. And he's like, you know, because uh, he, you know, he lived, what, three miles from the gym. And so yeah. he would try to get, uh, like, he was doing like 120 on those streets. Just, <laughs> so, so the guys were like, That's not, uh, those aren't streets to do 120 no, miles an no, hour on. I know. No. So, yeah. so Tom told us a story. He's like, as Lou told you about his Hellcat, he's like, He's like, we went for like, like nobody will ride with him because he's just fucking brick on the accelerator, just Mach one. And, uh, he's like, it's fast. He's like, cause he's like, Dude, I you had scared a- the shit out of me driving his Escalade. I can only imagine what it would have been like in that thing. <laughs> I just thought he was hoping that like a bus pulls out in front of him and he goes out in a fiery wreck. I mean, I always kind of, uh, man, it, this is a terrible thought, but I thought when Louis, you know, as we were sitting there, you and I talked about it, I think you're going where I think you're going. Yeah, I mean, I, I like when we were sitting there, and all, all I could hope was if he passes away, we just walk him out into the parking lot. We basically burn him on pallets, like a yeah. biking thing, like fucking shoot an arrow with the flame and just send him up. It's really how he would want to go. That's, I, I said 100% the same thing. And then I reached out to Doris to find out, you know, I'm like, fuck it, we might be able to make this happen. <laughs> and <laughs> oh, I'm shit. like, come on, if he's going to be cremated anyway. Yeah, we could just burn him in, in the parking lot. God damn it, dude! They <laughs> didn't happen. Can, but. can you imagine the fucking the the uh, uh, the explosion on the internet? Like a bunch of fucking hey, you know big what? ass dudes. For me, <laughs> it would have been worth it. You know, the, the jail time. You know, we probably would have been sentenced to some local misdemeanor or whatever. It might have been a felony. I don't, I don't uh, know. Uh, so uh, we have uh like we don't have uh i basically fucking canceled direct tv because uh some stupid shit so we have netflix and so uh we've been trying to like find like shows to watch and i got really stuck on these like different like historical kind of deal and there was one called the last kingdom which is about like around the eight nine hundreds and it's about uh the Saxons and the Angelos and like the, the Danes coming in. And so my family is from Denmark and then I also have family from England. So it was kind of historically, and it's, it's fucking a badass show. Uh, it's got this dude. The Last Kingdom. And, yeah. Uh, the yeah, last kingdom, but in it, like, like the Vikings, which, uh, you know, that's where my family is from. So I'm watching with my daughters and like when the Vikings die, they fucking burn them. Like, you know, like they have these huge processions yeah. and they put them on, uh, you know, Viking ships and send Fire. them out and shoot yeah. arrows and fucking burn them up. And I'm looking at this and I'm like, what a fucking great way to go. Yeah. Yeah. And all yeah, I can man. think of is like, if anybody deserved a Viking burial, it was Louie. It was hundred percent. Yeah. You, know? you and I independently thought of that. And I was <laughs> like, I, I didn't want to be the one to say it first. Cause I'm like, Hey, I'm crazy. No, you know, nobody would actually do this. And whenever you said it, I'm like, I, I'm not yeah, as crazy as I thought. Let's do it. Uh, dude. He, uh, uh, and then, you know, he didn't want to have, uh, any service. 
you know, because no. I asked him, I'm like, hey, you know, he's like, when I die, I die, it's over. Just fucking sweep me underneath the carpet. And, uh, you know, I know that was his final wish, but it would have been, you know, I mean, what, what are you going to have a fucking Dave Tate and those guys get up and tear up and, you know, talk about him and, you know, uh, fuck. I mean, he probably didn't. And how many people anyway. that have talked shit about him for 30 years are going to try and act like there is his friend at that point. And that's, that's exactly yeah. And, yeah, and that's I, not I what it. he wants. No, no. Louis doesn't want people talking good about him when he was alive, let alone when he's dead. He didn't know how to handle it. I, was, I don't either. So, you know, I do a lot better whenever people are hating me than I do whenever people are telling me I'm doing a good job. That's for sure. Well, uh, I think if everybody thinks you're doing a good job, you're obviously not making much of a mark of improvement. Like you yeah, got to you know, have some right. fucking haters, right? Yeah. Yeah. I've got some, I've got some good haters. So, you know, and that, well, that's I'm, all right. Uh, let's dig into that one a little bit. I mean, what would necessarily somebody attack? I mean, is the idea that uh, they don't think that there's value in velocity based training or that the way that you're doing it isn't appropriate or that, I mean, you know, I mean, if finding different ways to overcome inertia, uh, you know, isn't necessarily a real thing. You know what? There's a little bit of all of it. Um, so then there's some people who think that the only thing I say is to lift light weights fast and that's all you need to do. And to that, I respond, did you see the other books I've written on how to get super strong in this book called powerlifting? Uh, that's fucking stupid. Uh, then there's the people who are like, Oh, uh, there's a lack of precision because I like to use zones. Okay. All right. Cool. You know, you're, you're right. There is a lack of precision. But you go ahead and try and implement your methodology in a team environment. There's a reason why they gravitated towards mine and not yours, because yours is fucking impossible unless you have, uh, you know, one on one training environment, which is very well maybe what they came from. Um, then there's some with that. There is no value in uh, training by velocity. It's uh, completely misguided and. You know, that's some of that's coming from biomechanists. And I think that, you know, the the problem sometimes is that uh, or engineers rather. And the problem is, I think sometimes that, uh, well, you know, you ask an engineer what time it is, they're going to tell you how the watch is built. So hmm. I think that amount of over analysis comes, you know, comes from that, um, you know, and then some value is that uh, some things is they just don't fucking like me because I'm fat or whatever. I don't know what it is. <laughs> But, uh, you know, that, that, you know, I, I think that just sometimes whenever you've been doing it for a while and you make a name for yourself doing something, you got a target on your back and people got to shoot arrows with whatever they can to try and get themselves attention. Even people who choose to use things, terms that I have coined as their own fucking handle, yet they want to come and say that, no, that this isn't right. You got to listen to the way I'm doing it. Motherfucker, you've done this for six months and you want to call yourself that? However, I've been doing this 23 years, 22 years. And an observation at the NSCA conferences, this is with man and Dietz Mm -hmm. just sitting on these presentations. And there's oftentimes a for Q&A. So you guys are intelligent to leave time for Q&A because these guys stand up and try to battle. And then you just... Is this the way that they're trying to effectively make a name for themselves that's, to feel that's that what they I, can That's somehow. what I feel because it's different cities, different conferences, and I still see these guys try to battle on stage, like with the well, microphone. So so this is a, yeah. a, like a hard thing for me. I mean, uh, you know, like the conversation for velocity-based training uh, is an easy one for me because it was so fundamental, even though we didn't necessarily call it what it was and there was no zones. Yeah. But... You know, uh, at the end of the day, like understanding this progression, especially within my own, but obviously, I mean, 
Shit, dude. Like if we were to, I, I think we calculated a couple of years ago, we've de- delivered something over three and a half million workouts to something like 75,000 or a hundred thousand athletes. Uh, we've launched, it was, uh, we've provided daily programming for over 14 years. Yeah. Damn. And, and we 1500 online students through the methodology. Yeah. So, I mean, we've, and 300 seminars. Oh yeah. Yeah. Taught 300 seminars around the globe, certified coaches start. I mean, like the amount of people that we worked with, I mean, dude, the first day across a football launch, we had 16,000 hits. I mean, we consistently had tens of thousands Damn. of people following this program. And then it wasn't until we went to the paid model because I couldn't get people to leave enough feedback. So I ended up charging 20 bucks is how, and then once people logged into that, then I could start getting all the feedback. I mean, we mm. ran, uh, you know, 750 people through a daily workout training matrix and was able to get that information on the backside. I mean, through train heroic, there's, you know, thousands of people around the globe a day checking multiple programs and have, and have basically offered uninterrupted program every single day, if not one up to 14 for 14 plus years. I mean, you're talking about millions of workouts to hundreds of thousands of athletes and there's only, and so when you start looking at that many data points, uh, there's only a few things that are true. One is, uh, strength is a platform in which all life is built. Stronger people generally do better at what they are. And then when you hear intelligent people like yourself talk about velocity base, it's easy to take it on and be like, wow, this is really good information. Or hear Cal Dietz talk about his triphasic and think, shit, man, I'd never thought about training different um, muscle contractions at their end range in different points. Like it was so interesting when we heard the triphasic talk. And yeah. I was like, I was like, dude, we've done pieces of this in every part of our training cycle, but never actually arranged it this way. And I was like, man, this is some beautiful mind stuff. And it's easy to incorporate because we've already done it. We've already done isometrics. You know, we're already doing these things. Yeah. Now, now here's a real easy system. And then, you know, using, uh, you know, uh, Jesus, I mean, do I've been doing some form of PAP training since fuck 1996, uh, you know, with, uh, with, with Todd Rice. I mean, you know, he started talking about post-activation potentiation training in 1996 and I've used yeah. that element, you know, and then here, Hey, let's throw another one in with French contrast. I mean, these are all things like it's intelligent conversations. And you're like, if you have the framework to work from, Oh, we did this. Now here's a tweak. Let's try it this way. And so I think a lot of the problem, the times is that people haven't done the work on the front side to be able to have these intelligent conversations and to sit back and be like, holy shit, this is really smart. Maybe I could learn something here. No, no. And a lot of times I think all they're wanting to do is have some controversial statement so then they get more Instagram followers. Or just have a real cool handle because they don't have the balls to put their fucking name in there. Yeah. Yeah. That, that too. Yeah. Yeah. It's nuts. Man. Well, yeah. the, uh, it's, I mean, it's impactful and it's cool. I mean, if, um, like I, I keep, uh, going back to this thing. I mean, like we really talk about velocity based training and using these things in kind of the intermediate athlete. Uh, is there like a, a maturation phase in terms of the beginner? I mean, obviously we talked about strength and developing their technique and excellence and that idea yeah. before they move on, but are the things that, that the, the novice athlete, the beginner, the amateur could start incorporating in, in that transition phase? I mean, you're actually, most of the time people are right. Because they're usually doing some sort of uh, Olympic weightlifting derivative while they're training strength. Right. So then you get the velocity of the spectrum and you get the force of the spectrum. So really a lot of people say they don't do uh, concurrent periodization um, or, or out of their mind, but no, there's some aspects to it. And really what I've, here's how, uh, 
we at, at Missouri uh, got our heads together and decided to progress the athletes is uh, I bastardized, uh, for lack of a better term, uh, Zatsiorski's ex- explosive strength deficit because we didn't have force plates. What did we have? Equations, right, within Excel. And, you know, there was basically you had a rate-limited uh, number for the numerator, a non-rate-limited number for the denominator, uh, and then that's what gave you your explosive strength deficit. So I was thinking, uh, well, rate-limited, counter-movement jump, I can convert that to power, right, to account for body weight. So let's uh, put power in the numerator. And then what's the denominator? Well, the closest thing that we get to the true strength side was their squat max. Well, their squat max and their body weight matters. And uh, so I just added squat. So I divided their um, counter movement jump power by their squat and their deadlift. And I called it the power strength ratio because that's well, that's all it fucking is. It's power strength ratio. I mean, you know, it's not an explosive strength deficit because I don't have anything actually measured. I'm just estimating all these things. And we would look at uh, a couple of things. We would look at the, uh, I, I standardized the scores then, and I did it by position. Uh, I could have gone back and allometric. Whenever I went back and allometrically scaled everything, it came out to be pretty close, but um, I broke it up between bigs, mids, and skills. And um, whenever somebody came out of whack on their standard deviation, that's whenever we would start adding the next level of velocity in. Uh, so, you know, if they were uh, too strong for how explosive they were, that ended up being like negative. I mean, technically it was negative one. Uh, if it was a, a player, if it was a dude, I wouldn't let him get that low. Right. We would, uh, we would start the velocity emphasis sooner, uh, but just, and that kept their power increasing. And to me, that was, that was what it was all about. And I didn't know this at the time. I should have because there's like it's either it's an early '80s paper uh, from uh, Fry and Kramer. I might go ahead and be a text right now and look up uh, college football success power Fry Kramer. Let's see what year that paper came out. Now this isn't it. It came out whenever Andy Fry was a was a doc student. Uh, I'll, I'll go find it later and, and send it to Tex uh, so that we can look at these old papers and get all excited about them. Uh, but long story short, the only thing that they found mattered for uh, being able to be a good program or not. So what everybody did was they just sent them their program, right? Their profile. And they calculated power. They looked at some other things. They could differentiate the, who was in the top 25 by who wasn't by uh, counter movement jump power. I believe they used the Hartman equation for it. And um, they couldn't differentiate between who's, you know, they couldn't rank, you know, like the number one team was higher the number, than the number two team, than the three team or whatever. But if you were in the top 25, you had significantly higher power than uh, you did for the, those who were not. And it worked out that way by level, by uh, division two, II, division one, and I think NAIA at that time. Uh, so it just like, hey, power is what matters. And, uh, and at the end of the day, that's it. And I kind of was getting to that point near my, the end of my career at uh, Mizzou. It's like everything we do is to enhance power. And now where I'm at is, okay, everything we do is to enhance power and make it happen more rapidly. So move peak power to the left on the uh, force time continuum, because that also goes in with that, uh, you know, you've got a limited amount of time to produce force in an athletic activity. This isn't a weight room. It's not that, you know, you can't do the, Mark Bell 90 second bench press that he did way back in the day 
I think it literally took a minute and a half for it to touch his chest and then for him to get the press. Uh, if you guys are in tight with him, you could ask him and, and, and find a, find that one out. Uh, funny story about Mark Bell, his old training partner, uh, Doc Dave from Westside, was my training partner for seven years, one of my best friends. And it, you, yeah, uh, and that dude actually, Dave, is uh, probably one of the world's smartest individuals. He's a, uh, a leading researcher internationally on, uh, on autism. Uh, mm-hmm. for both the treatment and for the uh, factors going into its development. Oh, wow. um, but yeah, I, thought, I forgot where I was going. Yeah. Uh, well, we were talking about um, uh, development and really just oh, how yeah. you, yeah. 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 And so now I'm trying to move that peak power to the left. So it's all about power and it's about when power is, can be a, a applied and power is the intersection of force and velocity. So both matter, you know, well, and that's one of the things I don't think people type? get. I mean, like, so oh, fiber type uh, absolutely matters, but that's going to be a, a lot of result of one genetics and two, the type of training that's been done because the, the fiber types shift all the time as a response about, to training. Uh, I remember Louis, um, this is, geez, this is a conversation I had at Westside when we were training because we were talking about Prilipin's table and he's like, you know, um, these guys, uh, you know, were, I mean, shit, it was like Tony Baloney and Luke and fucking uh those other big strong dudes um he was like you know they're only going to need between four and five reps at their max you might need 10 and i asked him you know what dictates the number and he was pretty uh pretty forthright when he's like you know uh testosterone uh the more drugs uh the higher the testosterone the more efficient the nervous system that there's a direct relationship between androgen profile and nervous system efficiency so the, the more drugs they take the more efficient they are the less reps they need so that would mean that the non drugged athlete or the non um, enhanced athlete is going to need more reps because they don't have as efficient a nervous system. And you know, Bill Gillespie said the same thing. So he's like you, he goes, there's this kind of interesting uh, misconception that the enhanced athlete can handle more volume, which is untrue. That's the reason that all the guys on the drugs get hurt because the drugs allow their nervous system to be so efficient that they're able to get more out of less. Whereas if you're a, un uh, enhanced athlete you're going to need more and so that was a really interesting piece for me because we went home and uh we had both guys and girls um we were training uh, a bunch of girls in our groups and so when we did the hatfield muscle fiber test uh you know we basically had everybody we had a girl uh who i think was uh, she was a triple jumper at san luis obispo she was probably 137 140 pounds she had a legit 280 back squat so, you know, like double body weight, so no issue. We cut her back to 80%. She did uh, 29 reps at 80%. Not surprised. The, and, uh, the and, females and then, tend to be more type one than type two. The males and they, their uh, peak power hits at the load end of the spectrum as opposed to the velocity end of the spectrum, yep. which then that kind of makes sense with what Lou's saying because what's the difference? Fucking testosterone. Yeah, they, the only place that they're producing testosterone is in, um, in, the, uh, in their adrenals, which is 10% of what's in the testes. So, yeah. uh, and he actually, and then when I called it back, asked him, he said, of course, you know, women are always going to be able to handle a higher percentage of one RM for more reps. We've seen that universally with the women we've tested until they take drugs and then they become like the men. Hmm. That's and, an uh, interesting study that I would never be able to do. I couldn't get that to go through an institutional review board. No, we couldn't. But what's fucking amazing about Lou is Lou had the ability to observe. And when I asked him a little bit about like, you know, he, he was, uh, Shit, I, I still remember we were sitting in, uh, we were, it, it was the morning group 
And uh, it was fucking literally like Ice Cube. And uh, I still remember him looking over at me and it was the line that Ice Cube and I can't remember the song, but it was like, I started this motherfucking gangster shit and this is the motherfucking thanks I get. And I looked over <laughs> and Louis fucking literally was, you know, doing his little dance and he fucking hit that perfectly. And I'm like, man, ain't that the truth? Yeah. And, uh, you know, it was, uh, but that was, there were things that happened there that he was able to observe because he knew that nobody could ever test. And that's the fucking intrinsic knowledge that we've lost, wow. you know, because I mean, shit, how, you know, I mean, when I asked him a little bit about that, he was like, well, no university is going to test that one, but I'm telling you what I've seen. Yeah. Yeah. That, that's, that's right. You know, that, that's what we get with uh, the Louis, the Bondarchuks, the, you know, all those guys that, you know, there were, there was so much observation. Uh, Bondarchuk obviously took, took data and, and included that, but um, yeah, we're, we're losing, you know, we, we lost it. And it, it's a damn shame for anybody who wouldn't swallow their pride and go see Lou, you know, because of whatever problem that they thought they had with the individual. You think and, there are a lot of people uh, that have regret that they didn't patch it up with Lou at the end? You know, I think that the people that, If it, if it were me, I would, you know, I, I have regret about waiting for a couple of days on a phone call. I mean, you know, let's be honest. There's no fucking way that that, that would have mattered, but for some people that I know that there's some people that are out there that are so small minded and so have such issues and um, dude power. I want to say this. I want to say it this way because I think this is the best way for me to get it across. Powerlifting is a sport where a bunch of people end up going uh, to try and for self-preservation of their own mental state. Powerlifting isn't what people often go to because they have got the greatest mental health. This is an outlet for them to deal with their stresses and other things. And if somebody is mentally ill, they are not going to be able to process information. They are going to take something and take it personal whenever nothing was personal. And those individuals, I think may would, they, they would probably come and dance on his grave. I think that the individuals that were more even keeled and balanced, if they left without um, things getting too, Lou did get personal with a few people. Yeah. I, I, I know that. Right. And, and, and that's different. I'd say for 90 percent of the population, the people that if they uh, if they didn't have regret, it was probably one of their own issues. That's how I should put it. But I was going down the mental mental health aspect of it because of uh, how many of my friends uh, from Westside and elsewhere involved in powerlifting when they had that outlet of stress removed from them that they were using to keep themselves from addiction and keep themselves on the, the straight and narrow, they were unable to deal with life and they, they ended it all. And that's why in the new powerlifting book, I had included such a, a long section on mental health and, uh, and getting it taken care of because, you know, exercise is a bandaid for mental health. Yes. Exercise is required for stress and everything else, but whenever you start going to the extremes, it's a bandaid for mental health rather than, uh, than approaching it. And if anybody is mentally ill, they are going to not do well with, uh, holy shit. My wife just sent me five text messages. Let me make sure everything's okay. All right. Never mind. Everything's okay. Let's order stuff, uh, <laughs> that they don't, uh, you know, they're not going to be able to get, get through it. Right. Um, 
And, and that's why I included it. I'm like, guys, we got, you know, we got a suicide issue here. We need to, we need to address this. Well, shit, um, I mean, and look at all the bodybuilders that are passing away. I mean, shit, dude, like that's a, that's an interesting piece in that community, but then you have suicide. I mean, uh, yeah. if I always, I always thought if, if it was, uh, you know, because uh, the minute any of these bodybuilders pass away, like, oh, it's steroids. I'm like, first of all, the powerlifters probably take more drugs than the bodybuilders. So, and those guys aren't dying. The, those yeah. guys aren't dying the same way. They're actually killing themselves. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's uh, it, it, it's a shame. And uh, so many close friends uh, who have <laughs> succumbed to it, um, you know, that that's what led to that. It actually, you know, with, with human kinetics, they said no at first. So I told them, um, I told the, uh, the, I'll leave his name out because I don't know, you know, if, if if it would matter or if it would bring up stuff to him. But uh, I, I threw my pen on the paper uh, on the table. I'm like, look, this is included or you're finding a new author. And uh, so it's, you know, I've got the first drink sport, sports psych section. I've got the first drink sport, mental health section. And, and I guess if there's anything that I'm proud about in my career, that's probably going to be it. You know, that, uh, yeah, I, all I want to do is make a difference. Some people want to be famous, insta famous, whatever. Nah, man, if you, you you need to be the change you wish to see in the world. Mahatma Gandhi had that down yeah. years ago. And I know Mahatma Gandhi is not without faults, right? I, I understand about the 14-year-olds and shit like that. But well, I so still think that's look a at Martin Luther thing. King. I mean, Martin yeah, Luther dude, King. Man, every single person here is human. And yeah. uh, and that's another thing that I have a problem with, with uh, people sometimes putting me up on the pedestal and why I'm so uncomfortable with it. It's like, dude, I'm probably the most flawed human that there is. So, you know, don't put me on a pedestal because you're going to be extremely disappointed whenever you find out that, uh, that, you know, I'm, I'm nowhere near, you know, what you think I am. So, yeah. And that, that's one of the, you know, I guess that, that, uh, I guess I've got imposter syndrome, maybe that that's what it would be called, but, uh, you know, I want to go do what I do. Just, you know, don't put me up on a pedestal, you know, and I think Lou had some of that too. And he felt uncomfortable about people, you know, blowing him up in a good manner as well. I'm, I'm not sure if that, if that's what it was, I never got to talk to him about it, but I have been talking with some religious leaders about it. Cause I'm like, well, how do you handle this? How do you handle this? People putting you up on a pedestal and thinking that, you know, everything. And, uh, and I didn't intend on going into this in, in this podcast, but here we are having a therapy session. Um, but you know that that's that's just what it is. You know that uh, we, we've got to find ways to to deal with it and improve our own mental health. So then the next generation isn't going to have that same problem. Well, I really think um, the issue comes down to being uh, genuine or disingenuous. Oh, dude. Uh, I've uh, this is something that I have seen throughout my life, whether it be in professional sports or this. Um, I have a very hard time. Like uh, I'll just. I'll just give you a, a little example. There was a, a, a Instagram picture of a dude who was up there, you know, posting shirtless pictures. The guy's in great shape. And he's up there, you know, DM me for nutrition and training advice. And the guy is a terrible guy to come ask you. Well, you I know? forgot to say drug, drug advice with uh, PCT, you know, so yeah. that you don't get gyno too. I, I mean, I mean, to the point where like, uh, like uncomfortable, like I'm fucking can't even look at it. And, uh, you know, yeah, but, and then goes through this whole uh, diatribe of this and this, and then, you know, DM me for training nutrition advice. And he's posting these shirtless pictures. Like, uh, it just, not to say the guy hasn't done the hard work, but everything, but it just like, it doesn't fucking, it just doesn't gel for me. 
And no. like, I think all, all too often, um, just this was something very disingenuous within the NFL where you see a guy, you know, stand up and go to Bible study in here. And all of a sudden he's the guy that gets arrested with hookers in the car or drugs. So like, I have no problem if that's the life you want to lead, but just yeah. be honest, like, 100%. Uh, uh, like the, the issue I run into is just with disingenuous where it's, uh, it's fucking, it, it just, uh, like, Hey, if you want to be a piece of shit or you want to do this, or you want to live your life in extremes, it's fine. And that's what I, that's what I really liked about Lou is that he made no excuses. He wasn't a fucking no. choir boy. West side wasn't for everybody. No, nope. uh, he made no illusions about who he was, what he did, where he came from. There was no holier than now bullshit. There was no, you know, this and this, he was exactly as advertised. And, um, yep. Except I for he a, wasn't that tall. No, he was well, and he was even littler when I saw him to the point where, I had met Lou, what, 15 years ago, let's say, and then walking in and seeing him walk in with to do the podcast and realizing, and uh, the only thing that struck me was, uh, man, my dad passed away a couple of years ago from cancer and um, he got diagnosed the day after Christmas and then he ended up passing away February 28th. So, I mean, it was about just over two months and he was gone. Yeah. Yeah. Just over two months. And uh, the last appointment that I took him to for his oncologist um, he was 235, 240 pounds when he got diagnosed. Uh, he was 163 at the end. Oh, damn. So he couldn't get out of the car. So I, I actually like kind of lunged forward, lifted him out of the car, put him in the wheelchair, took him up to his appointment. And then he didn't want to get out of the wheelchair. So I kind of scooped him up and I did like a one legged lunge and kind of lunged him and set him into the car and realized like, you know, like I remember my dad is a big, strong man you know, doing everything. And now here I am picking him up and out of a wheelchair and lunging him forward. And, uh, I like that has been like, it's uh, fucking haunting. And when I saw Louie walk in, like, I just almost like, uh, fuck, like this mixed emotion of like wanting to throw up, wanting to cry and getting goosebumps and being taken back to that moment with my dad when I saw him walk in and then feeling, um, the only word I can give it is, and I know Louie would spin in his fucking grave if I said blessed, but just feeling very um, privileged to have this moment with him because I knew yeah. that the end was so close. So my dad also, uh, from the cancer, he had um, um, this deal where uh, his chest cavity was filling with fluid. So they had to keep draining him when it was called a paracentesis. So they yeah, were pulling yeah. like eight to 10. I mean, it, it was, it was like a gallon of fluid they were taking off them every eight to 10 days. And when you're calculating out the power of the protein and the calories, you're like, it's just a fucking equation until it takes them. And then coming in and seeing the edema and lose legs and just kind of like replaying this and like, like meant like, honestly, like this like mixed emotion of like, uh, we got to do a podcast. We got to crush this thing. Cause we have this one opportunity. Now I'm transported back to my own dad and I'm seeing this moment and knowing that like the, the time is near, but yet we got to do this man justice. And then also yeah. like wanting to like physically like give him a hug, but then also knowing that like hugging's not Louie, yeah. you know? So like I shake his hand and like, I, I like kind of paused and I was like, Oh shit, dude, this is, I mean, knowing that like when I lunged my dad in the car, I knew the end was there at that moment. I knew that thank God we're here to do this moment because he doesn't have much longer. Like I've seen this before yeah. and he knew he was at the end of his journey and he, you know, and even Tom said, he's going to give you a good 30, 30 minutes. And he gave us an hour and 20 hour and 30 minutes. We, he, we were able to get double what I expected. And then finally I was like, that's it. That's all this old man's got. And uh, I'm so thankful for it. But like, 
the only word I can give it is like fortunate, just feeling very, um, like that I did something right within my interaction and who I was as an individual that this individual was willing to like on his desk doorstep to come and do our podcast out of respect for who I am and our relationship. Uh, so I had like all these fucking mixed emotions to like, even when we were leaving, you know, Lou, Hey, take whatever you want. And I still like, we, I still was like, Hey, here's money. Like, I don't want to take anything. Like you already gave us so much. Let me buy any, uh, everything for everybody. And, uh, that was, and we left there and I realized like that was the last time we we're ever going to see that dude. And not knowing it was going to be of two weeks later, but like realizing like he basically gave us a block of his time at the very end when he, you know, been so generous over the years with so many people. So I felt very just, I felt like I did something right and I was sad to see him go. But then also everybody has, uh, this is everybody's journey. Everybody enters the world the same way everybody goes out and ha- and the the mark that you have as an individual is how you're remembered. And he made his fucking mark and his name will be inscribed. And you know what, uh, you know, when he passed away, he got a fucking direct pass to Valhalla. I mean, uh, it's funny. I was telling my daughters when we were watching this, uh, um, last kingdom, I've studied world religions from Christianity to every single one. And as I sat there and it's like, whatever you believe in, you know, is kind of irrelevant because they all have pretty much the same myths. I mean, they're all just different versions of the same story. But as we were reading through and we were talking about heaven and the other, Valhalla sounds like the place that I want to go where I get to go and fucking battle and fight and drink and eat and feast forever with all of the baddest dudes on the planet. I hope they save me a place at the table because uh, I'd like to go to Valhalla and Louie got a direct pass and we'll see him there. You know, the only other time that I have felt like that was a, a perfect ending was whenever, uh, what was his name? Tate said anything less would be disrespectful to the gods yeah. at the symposium. What is that guy? Is it Tate Fletcher or something yeah, like that? Yeah, Tate Fletcher. EDX yeah. texted me today. Yeah. That, uh, yeah, that's... Uh, I'm glad you got that experience, John. Yeah, thank you. you know. was, um, and I'm glad that Charles and Tex got to be there. And I don't know, uh, you know, having had that experience with my dad, like seeing it in real time was like so many mixed emotions. But knowing like uh, we have a responsibility to do this podcast and Not put him in his best That's a life. fucking duty. You, yeah. you had a duty to do that. Well, and, uh, and, and Tom even said, he goes, you know, uh, after Louie did the Joe Rogan deal, the vice people came out and they were going to do some stuff and they basically tried to paint him like, you know, this is some fucking, you know, drug dealing, you know, and they just tried, tried to really paint him in a negative light. So he hadn't done anything else. And so Tom was like, Hey, you know, Louie's going to do this, but try to prep me. And I was like, dude, I would rather fucking fall on a sword than disrespect Louie. And, you know, I mean, he called me on the phone to be in the West side versus the world video. I mean, he called me yeah. up and was like, Hey John, we need a professional athlete. Will you do this? Sure. Whatever you need of me, I'm glad to help. And, uh, and so I said to Tom, I'm like, dude, you don't think anybody's going to protect his legacy. I'm not trying to fucking, there's no gotcha moment in here. This is all about basically no. having a great conversation and you know what? Love him or, or, or hate him. And there's a lot of people that fucking hate him. Louis was always super genius with me, always picked up the phone. Uh, I always had the best interaction. I had 16 meals in a row with him. So for eight all days, of Bob Evans, huh? No, well, we would meet at Bob Evans and then we would go to lunch and then we would, he would pick a different place. And I think we had like 16 dinners in a row. Uh, it was like fucking like literally it was like almost three weeks. We went to dinner every single night. 
Okay, Sunday and, uh, is uh, was the Chinese restaurant for dinner, right? Yeah, it was so the Chinese, and then we went to uh, uh, it was like these different like uh, steakhouse things, like uh, what was it like Texas Roadhouse, and we went to all like all these different places. And I was like, pick a different one. I can't eat at the Chinese place or Bob Evans anymore. <laughs> and uh, and then we went to the pizza place, and, but. Yeah, I, that's the deal, man. Like, I mean, to quotate anything less of just anger the gods and you got to do respect. And I really think as we and it's so funny, my, my daughters are 10. And as we went through these different creation myths, because I've like uh, I read them like the um, the Norse mythology creation myths, how the world was really just uh, a giant that got his fucking skull bashed in. And we're basically inside of his skull, which is the I mean, it's like it's all wacky shit. Um, but like, as we were reading through it, I'm like, I kind of like the Norse ones the best and Odin and Thor and the whole deal. And, and I, I like their creation at the end, you get to go to Valhalla, but old men that die in their sheets without battle scars, don't get to go to Valhalla and Louis gets his fucking pass directly there. Yeah, he does. Man. So, yeah. Well, dude, thanks uh, for allowing us to steal a bunch of your time today. And thanks for taking us through the BVT and the, and what you're doing. And thanks for being uh, one of our favorite guests on power athlete radio. Hey man, thanks for having me guys. I'm, I'm honored. Yeah, we'll be seeing you again soon, Brian, both at the, the NSCA conferences and we got to get you back on. I can't believe it took us this long to. You're not going to make an appearance time. at uh, SummerStrong, are you? I, I am. I'm speaking this year. So mm. I'm actually going to uh, I'm going to kind of rehash a little bit of the uh, what we did there. I'm going to sprinkle in a little bit more of my my background to give some people some some insights uh, into. And it's not like I want to give people insight. It's that I want people to know that they're not alone because uh, this shit is hard for me to talk about, you know, my, my childhood and my oh. background. But, you know, if if it weren't for other people helping me uh, to go get help and, uh, you know, to to deal with the things that I'd, I'd come up with, I wouldn't be here today. So I want to make sure that, you know, people get that. You know, it's not all sunshine and roses. And if I'm somebody's hero and they're struggling like I was, I want them to get help. And I want them to hear that it's okay to get help from from one of those people. Uh, we will be there. So we'll, uh, I'll definitely buy you a beer and we'll, uh, we'll sit and bullshit. And if you need to. Beer's free, free John. Uh, then you'll buy two, Tex. Yeah. I, first round's <laughs> on me. I look forward to it. So we'll see you hey, soon. Liquor does it quicker, brother. That's what I'm saying. I'll, I'll, I'll make sure to bring some then. <laughs> all right. Thank you, sir. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. You can find Dr. Brian Mann on Instagram. Yep, he's there. At J Brian, that's B-R-Y-A-N-M-A-N-N. Until next time, bye!